The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 331 of the Coco Nation Show. How y'all doing? Bit rushed. <laughs> Just made it on time. But he's here. All right. Yep, he's here. Uh, let's see. All right. and we'll see who else we got with us today. Uh, well, I need to push a button over here. There we go. Um, I made a couple of co-hosts, but uh, probably not enough. First up, we got Marco. Hello there. And there's only two of us besides you, so you better make a few more. Yeah. Okay. Well, people were late today. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, from the studios of WKOCO, <laughs> Robert Emery. Hello, everyone. Yeah, you got to take us a tour of that thing here before long. Oh, sure. Uh, let's see. Next up, yours truly, then Patrick Euland. Greetings, folks. All right. And next row, we got Ronald Elbow. Hi there. How's everything going? Yeah, we're Welcome still on the right the side of the daisies. Yep. Uh, Ken Waters back at the main homestead. Hey, that's me. <laughs> okay. And long time no see, Brian the Music Man. Hello, everybody. Uh, getting my stuff back in order. Still unpacking from Coco Fest? Uh, no, it's actually all unpacked pretty much. So I just got <laughs> to pack up some of the stuff I do have and <laughs> ship it out. Oh, okay. You can, you can just ship it all to Brian Weasler. <laughs> well, if he's got the money. <laughs> Let's, Let's <see>. talk. <laughs> <laughs> Next up on the panel is El Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And traveling across, let me guess, Ohio? That's right. Coming to you live from the highways and byways of North America, more specifically Ohio at the moment, where they, the nice and flat part of the state. And But yet, I, I, I brought a little cooler, and I do have my Diet Dr. Pepper. All right, but no on. water. Oh, no there water. There you go. 
All right. I'll just mix them in my stomach. That Jason, man's going to mix the David any laugh. Rain? What's that? You getting any rain, Jason, from the... Look, looks sunny there. Huge it storm. Been beautiful. I, it has been beautiful and sunny uh, yesterday and today so far. Okay. We'll All see. right. Next up on the Hollywood Squares, we got Brian Weasler. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. And we are getting the rain. We're on about four inches over the last three days, so we're Yippee. we're getting we're getting soaked. Yeah, keep, we're supposed keep, to get it. To, we're supposed to catch hell tonight. Keep those cocos high. That's it looks right. like I actually have hair with the plant <laughs> behind me there, so I don't know. What that... <laughs> Just needs a bit of coloring, but you know, eighties <laughs> hair. Green, though. I would go okay, to the doctor Buckley. for that. <laughs> Let's see. Next up, we got Kevin H. Hello, everybody. With Mountain Dew. Let's see. Next up is David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I hope you're planning to sit and stay a while. This is going to be another long episode. Well, David, you sound a lot better. Are you, yeah, are you feeling like a lot better, too? You're sounding human. Oh... I'm 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 getting there. I'd say probably fifty percent. It's uh, yeah. COVID is not exactly the most entertaining sickness to have. Okay, and last but not least, the Thunder from Down Under, Nick Marentes. Uh, good day, everyone. Episode three three one. Is it? Uh, we still uh, haven't learned. No. <laughs> <We're>, um, oh. <laughs> Oh, just All wait, right. Nick, until we get to three, three, three. Oh, what's happening then? Oh, you'll <laughs> find out, Nick. Oh, no. It's only We're halfway evil. to six, six, six. Evil. Your, yeah. Yosemite will erupt. <laughs> we haven't learned by now. We're not going to learn. That's right. All right. In the chat, so we've got uh, Mark and Marco, Tom Eric Gunderson. Kevin Holloway, Mark Siegel is there. And we got David Sharon Beery, Chris Dries. How do you pronounce that? D U R Y S. How do you pronounce that? There is. I'm not sure. Okay. I want to get it right. You know, I'm good at butchering names. We know. We hear it every week. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's a new adventure in uh, linguistics. My, my favorite part is he changes the pronunciation for the same name every week, too, just to keep us on our toes. <laughs> uh, let's see. We got uh, Frank Lindhairs. Um, Retro Rewind. Uh, Retro Rewind, yes. Let's Thank see. you, Retro Rewind. Uh, who else we got here? That's not a repeat. Phantom 8 Bits. Says Durries. Dries, okay. Let's try to remember that. Okay, let's see. First up today, we have Brian Weasler, project updates and acquisitions. So let me highlight you. Coming live from Warehouse Thirteen. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you know I'm not a fan of uh, this new thing that Zoom has, where everything's a hand to move it around, and, and they make the button for finding the spotlight a lot harder. Okay. I noticed that. All right. You're, you're up. Uh, today I want to kind of share some, uh, some paper 
that maybe some of you may or may not have seen before. Some of these I've I've not seen. Um, I've seen I haven't had a chance to. I mean, yep, I haven't had a chance to see if they're all on the archive or not. If they're not, I'll add them to my my list. Now, are these papers for rolling the stuff behind your head? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 wrong. Oh, that stuff, that stuff wouldn't. Uh, that stuff probably would make you sick versus uh, give you a right. Yeah, that don't stuff. matter. <laughs> Brian shows us toilet paper. <laughs> Brian, Thanks, Brian. Let's see here. Get these orientated here. So uh, Lewis and Clark Exchange, the color computer newsletter. Are we going back in time or what? Yeah, some of these are. Yeah, this is January of 1986. So I I was kind of glad to see Curtis uh, join because I I kind of feel like maybe he might have seen some of these before or maybe not. I don't know. Not Lewis Clark. That's a new one on me. Where, Where is it? Where is it from then? Is there? I don't think there's a town called Lewis Clark, is there? No, um, I'm not sure if it really says anything here on uh, where it was located. Actually, Lewis and Clark were explorers of the Louisiana yeah. Purchase, so it might have a reference to that, or not. Um, but they went they went quite a ways, so that doesn't really narrow down where that is. Um, it says here, I don't know. It says uh, Lewis and Clark Exchange, uh, uh, Lewiston, Indiana. Not sure. Lewistown, Indiana. Yeah. Okay. Not too far from Chicago, then. So, but uh, not all the issues, though. But uh, I got about uh, oh, about a dozen issues of it. I'm ninety nine percent sure that those are not on the archive. Okay, yeah, I was, I was going to double check and then put little sticky notes on them before I put them back in the box. So, are right the now, programs so. in there? Um, there's a little bit there. This is like editor's notes that we have here. Um, here's uh, Mr. Dig, uh, a little crossword, and uh, looks like they had the crossword from last month's there. Um, Looks like there's a recipe here for <laughs> baked devil vote, uh, cocoa travel, um, exchange background submissions. Uh, looks like it was just kind of a, just a little newsletter that somebody put together, just various different things with people in the community sharing. Looks like there's a subscription uh, tear off at the bottom of that last page. Yep. Was this associated <laughs> with a club? Yeah, I would uh, guess so. Please enter my subscription to the Lewis and Clark Exchange for one uh, one year, twelve issues, uh, ten dollars. Uh, then the overseas. I would, yeah, you can I would it guess in. it's okay. more like a store. Probably it was probably an independent dealer. Or something. So, so, considering the, the this kind of looks like a one man show, is there a parent somewhere that named his child Lewis Clark? <laughs> 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 and this is his newsletter. Yeah, as long as his last name's not Exchange. Right. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to really go read through some of these, so I might be able to, after I read a little bit, uh, uh, a background here. Here's says Lewis and Clark background. Lewis and Clark Exchange was created uh, with the idea of a newsletter that not only gave the information about the color computer uh, in software reviews, programs, feature stories, and more, but supplies you with little knowledge about the, the people who own and operate uh, our cocoa. All basic programs listings um, you will find in the exchange are formatted for 32 character screens, so they will show uh, on any of your cocos there. So yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just a cool. just a little newsletter that somebody put yeah. together. So so what yeah, most of these small ones were usually associated with a club. So I thought maybe there's a loose Clark Coco Club or something. But what was Superman's been. name? <laughs> Not Kal El. 
Oh, Clark Kent. You're getting your Lewis's and Lois's and Clark's all mixed up, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, here's another one here that I have a couple issues of. Uh, it was the uh, Coco Trader. That one I remember reading about. Because that was mm-hmm. basically meant for people to exchange and swap yeah, and, and yeah, sell and buy, like, right? Yeah, because it says like for sale here. And uh, it's just saying, you know, here's a person listing that they have a multi-pack interface. Uh uh, forty nine dollars plus shipping. It's yeah, because there was another one called Coco Ads that did a fair bit of this, and then became almost a full blown magazine. It was like forty eight pages, and okay. started doing articles and stuff too. But this looks probably a little bit later because Coco Ads, I think, was a bit earlier, like Coco One Two era. Not doing a very good job of holding this in the right direction for you guys, but uh, great kid stuff. Is their phone number in there? <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you still want the multi pack? Yeah? <laughs> you still have that ready here? How much was the stamp? Uh, 29 cents. Yeah. Really? Gee. So anyway, so that got a couple issues of that one. Uh, let's see here. What else we got here? This one I thought was kind of interesting. Um, I'm not sure if I completely understand it here, but it was called, uh, adventure survivors. Oh yeah. I'm familiar with this one. So, and it looks like they kind of break down games. Is that, am I reading that right there? Yeah, it's for adventure game fans. So they they publish reviews of games. They interview some of the developers, like Len Dahlgren was interviewed a few times from Sundog because he wrote quite a few games for like Prickly Pear and then Sundog itself. Uh, They also publish hints and tricks. People are asking questions. Um, It was basically anybody that likes adventure games on the Coco, it was a way to learn about them, um, read reviews and say in case you wanted to buy them. In fact, uh, Adventure Survivors themselves, after some of the Coco companies shut down, actually got the rights to sell their adventure games on their behalf after the company was was done. And they did that for a few companies. I can't remember which one's off the top of my head, but basically they were they were huge fans of adventure games. If I remember it was a husband and wife team, I think. Okay. That did it. And occasionally they reviewed stuff that wasn't quite an adventure like Cronus Rift like you're showing here. That's yeah, I guess there's Rift some adventurish tones to it, but I wouldn't call it an adventure game. And then they had uh, one on Rogue here. Yeah, they sold uh, complete solutions too. They usually gave you, you know, some hints and stuff in the in the magazine itself, but they wouldn't usually publish the entire solution because they you still want to like, you know, win the adventure game. You just don't want to get stuck right. somewhere for like ten months. <laughs> right. So yeah, so I thought that was kind of a uh, interesting there. I, I saw now I will mention of... the archive does have adventure survivors, but they don't have a complete run. You may have some issues there they're missing. I have to see, yeah, because this is, uh, I mean. Uh, this is definitely not a series that I have all the way through here. I mean, there's like, there's, I got everything from like 91, 92, 94. So it's real sporadic, but, uh, yeah. Um, what else did I have here? I was going to show here. Um, <clears throat> no, not that one. Sorry. Um, okay. Here's a, just one issue of this. I don't know how, uh, if it was just one issue and then it came out, but it was called the Coco Report. This just says issue number one, March of 1996. From CFDM, that was uh, Rick's Computer Enterprises uh, magazine, wasn't it? Okay. I don't know if yeah, that... Yep, right, yeah, Rick's yeah. Computer Enterprises right here in the corner. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Yeah, I just saw the CFDM yep. at the top there. Um, yep. They were from Kentucky or something, weren't they? Uh, yep, yep, Liberty, Kentucky. Yep. So, I don't uh, know if that had multiple issues or not. I do remember seeing it at one of the Coco Fests, but I don't remember. I didn't get one, so I, didn't, I don't know too much about it. Okay. Let's see here. Okay. 
And then uh, just this is just some random paperwork. And like I said, I'll have to try to see if some of this is out here, though. But this was from uh, I got a couple copies of the Color Computer Preservation Society. Yes, that had, I think, four issues. That was, Steve Bjork helped with that one, if I remember correctly. That was in the okay. 2000s. And this one, I don't know if it really has a cover, if this one was the first one, but this one here says then volume one, uh, number two. Yeah, number and, one is missing on the archive. So if you have the first issue, we definitely need that one scanned. Okay. And there's, I think, two, so, three, and four are on the archive, if I remember. So that was if there's any more past that, then they'll, they'll be have to be scanned, too. Wasn't Carl Boyle uh, part of that also? Carl Boyle? Um, I honestly don't remember. That was when I was in the hinterlands. I was just doing my webpage and I wasn't coming to Cocoa Fest anymore because my personal life kind of took over everything. <laughs> so that was when I was in my 10-year hiatus. Oh, I'm thinking about the OS9 group. That's what I'm thinking of. Never mind. And it says comments and questions here, and it, and it, it says CO uh, Rick's Computer Enterprises. And here it says material reviews, Steve Bjork, editor and uh, tech news. Um Cast of characters, article uh, comp uh, compilations here, uh, references Alan Huffman, Rick Cooper, and Scott. Uh, uh, I can't Griepen truck. It has to be Griepen yes. truck. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> who it is. Yep, I could not pronounce the name there. So thank yeah, you. Rick, Rick Cooper is uh, Rick's computer and prize that did the CFTM we were just mentioning earlier. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, so depending on okay. how many issues you have, the first one is definitely missing in the archive. Two, three, and four there. If there's anything past four, one for sure you'll have to scan, but if you have anything past four, then you'll have to do that too. Okay. I don't remember how long that one ran though. And uh, just a couple issues of this one here. Uh, it was the uh, Coco Tech Journal. I had uh, hmm. just a couple issues of this one here. But uh, it seemed like they got a little more colorful as I kind of went along here. But uh, um, And it looks like it might have been copies because this looked like someone took a uh, uh, colored pencils <laughs> to do this one. I wonder so. if they had kids. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. Uh, this is not one I'm familiar with. I do not know this one. Okay. Yeah, I'll try to do, like I said, do some more digging and uh, if anything, get some of these scanned up there. So, it might Does be. it have anything like where that's from? Like what city? Like if you wanted to subscribe or something? Or who's in charge of it? Let's see if I can get the whole back issue here. Let's see. There we go. Always interesting to know where these originated from. Yeah. Coco Tech Journal, uh, Bantam, Kentucky, or Connecticut, C C CT? Connecticut. CT is Connecticut. Kentucky is yep. KY. KY is Kentucky. Yeah. Yep, KY, yep. Um, welcome to the second issue. Um, peaks and pokes. So it looks like just information, PAL chips, back to basics. It's like just uh, like somebody writing articles and things like that, and then submissions. You know, the yeah, this one I don't remember at all. So, okay. Did you get um, these all from the same? All those. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Did you get these all from the same place? Yes. Yep. This wow. is all part of a. This is all part of that large collection there. That. Um, Wow, somebody spent a lot of time collecting. I mean, well, actually, a lot, a lot of these, a, a lot of these that I'm showing you, um, I'm uh, just to be respectful of him, um, not to show his address there, but uh, it was he, he, he actually subscribed to all of these journals. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. uh, so this one here. I think people see this one here. The them. the underground or undercolor. That, undercolor. That's Dennis Kitts. Yep. So, and I don't know how many issues there were, but this is this goes all the way just through uh, issue. Uh, 
number 11. So I'm not sure if, if that's all there was. I'll have to go and look. And I see. can't remember how many there was, but I do know they were one of the few that actually incorporated into rainbow when they shut down. So they actually made oh, okay. a deal. And, okay. Uh, kind of a uh, interesting, this looks like it's a Coco inside a person's shirt there. I don't know. Some of these were really, they had interesting, uh, uh, Dennis, as, as you've seen in the interview, he's an interesting guy. So yes, yeah, I remember. The, yeah, I remember uh, our interview with this with, with him. Yep. So, um, next is the. Sorry, I think this is all. Yeah, this is all the same here. It's the uh, the Coco Clipboard Magazine. I do remember that one. And this is Volume One, uh, Issue One, and it goes all the way up through. What do we got here? Volume, volume three, issue three. Oh, you might have a complete run then. So, I just, I just like because like a lot of these looks like they were. I mean, they weren't like just regular glossy magazines. They were just you know printed on eleven by seventeen paper and folded, stapled, and out the door they went. Yep, we had quite a few of those, uh, especially after Rainbow was folding. Mm-hmm. And this would have been an 87. It looks like it went all the way up through uh, 1990. Yeah, I just saw mention of the TC9. That was 1990. So, yep. Hey, what's it say about the Coco 4? That's the MM1, TC9, TC70, possibly System 4. Um, so, next here, I'd like to show you, and these are all kind of interesting. These are actually almost like newspapers. So the color micro micro journal, yeah, I do remember this one too. That is the, like a newspaper. That's an earlier one too. That's from the eighties. Yeah, this would be um, volume one, issue one. Yep, September eighty three, I think. September eighty three. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So yeah, we got a about a dozen issues of this one. So I was kind of like I was almost like a newspaper that you could almost just like like you might subscribe to the, to the newspaper. So yeah, yeah, like Rainbow was at the end. Right. Yep. Um, and here's the one that you referenced earlier here, uh, Curtis. Let me get the whole stack out here. I think this is all the same, or is this separate here? Hold on. Um, is this all the same, or I've got two different things here? Sorry. Hold on. Uh, yep, this is all the... I got them upside down. Shoot. Here we go. Okay. Uh, this is, has kind of a stapled note on it. I didn't want to pull off, but this was the um, oh, yeah, uh, Coco, Coco ads, ads that, you, that you talked about here. Uh, complimentary first issue. I didn't have the second issue in the stack here because um, they, they, they kind of an interesting numbering. Instead of doing like volume or volume one, issue one, they went like A1, A2, A3, <laughs> and then uh, uh, A4. Um, and then they get when they get into the next year, then they go to B, C, and and so on and stuff like that. But uh, this is like what you were talking about the the ads here, where people uh, yeah, were and then they kind of here. expanded to actually have articles and stuff too. So yeah, but again, it's kind of that newspaper again look, which is kind of cool. At least some of those are on the archive. I don't know how complete it is. You might have some they're missing there too. Yeah, because some of these checked. some of these were just. Um, you know, folded in half like this. Other ones were full blown, like you know, much larger, almost like newspaper size. So, yeah, you're going to be a busy boy scanning all these things. <laughs> um, let's see. Here. I think I have. Was that it? I wanted to show. We do appreciate box? that. 
greatly. I need, I need to go look and see with this because this some of this goes up quite quite recent, so I have to go look and see. And this is uh, only cocoa related because of the community. Whoops, my stack is moving on me here. Sorry, guys. There we go. Um, so those of you that have subscribed to the Glenside newsletter uh, or the Cocoa One Two Three, here's a pretty good stack of originals of the of the Cocoa One Two Three here. So. Um, I'll have to go and look and see. I'm sure they, they probably have a, a lot of these here already. They do have chunks missing, I will tell you. Oh. I had to scan. I scanned about seven or eight myself last year that they were missing and put up there, but there's okay. more still to go, so you might have some. I'm probably not going to. Oh, okay. So uh, here it is. Uh, Brian, are you looking at the uh, Brian Schubring? Are you looking at the screen here? Oh, yeah. I remember uh, doing that. I also na- na- renamed the uh, um, that article, too. Oh, okay. So I decided when I was thumbing through real quickly, Brian's name jumped out at me right there. So <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that. That's when I was leaving that because it used to be um, the president's platter or something like that. That's what or something, yeah, yeah, or plan. And I t- t- changed it to the president's term. Oh, okay, that's because you were an OS nine guy. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> and on some of the issues here, they had some. They had uh, pictures of the people that were uh, the. Um, uh, like the president officers, yeah, yeah, officers of the club here, and uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to see them though. But there's some uh, very young uh, Tony Peraza here, and uh, uh, it, it's kind of sad because some of those people are no longer with us, and that's like yeah, there's, George uh, is gone, Bob Swoger. You'll probably see a few of him. He's he's gone. Yep. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, where, where did I see the? Where did I see Bob's picture in here? Sorry. Um, Was that Bob right here? No. I must say yours are in much better shape than mine. Mine, the uh, the Xeroxing kind of stuck together between issues, so it's oh okay. Peel the paper off, and it's a <laughs> chunk of black all over. Oh, here we go. Um, actually, had some color ones here. So here's a uh, uh, Tony, Chris Hawk, um, Bob Schwarger, uh, George Schwinnis. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Brian, you might know. Yeah, Brian, um, we are uh, other Brian, Music Man, Brian. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're talking about uh, John Mark on the end, John Mark yep. Mobley. Yep, on the end there. Yep. Yeah, he's still active in the community. Yeah. Yep. Um, Swoger. Is that Howard Lucky. Um, he's not on, 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 on the fourth over from the left. Nope, that's George. Uh, what's his name? Because Schneeweiss. Schneeweiss. Yeah. Schneeweiss. Yeah, okay. We used I... to uh, have picnics over there out in uh, Forest City, which was south. Yeah, there. I think the last time he attended Coco Fest uh, before he passed away, I think it was like 95 or something, wasn't he? Yeah, 95, 96, yeah. Yeah. Good long life. Yep. He left a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian's got it all now? Is that what you're saying? No. Oh. <laughs> God, I would need about uh, two acres of land. <laughs> And this is all cocoa stuff, or is this just all kinds of stuff? (laughs) Just for that, for the barns. Yeah, but is it all like computer related stuff, or is it uh, just a mixture of all kinds of stuff? Um, it's a mixture of everything, including Betamax. Hmm. (laughs) Well, I'm just wondering, like, if if that stuff's still around and his family still has it and and wants to get rid of it, maybe Brian would be interested. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not me. (laughs) No, I meant. 
you know, the big collector Brian here. <laughs> yeah, no, BW. Yeah, <laughs> BW, right? Okay. Uh, then just the last thing I wanted to kind of share with you guys then, um, if anybody's looking uh, or been waiting for, whoo, doesn't really come in very well. That white is just getting blasted out of there, isn't it? There we, there we go. So um, uh, Ed, uh, Ed, the zip, uh, Zipster Stone there. Um, Zipster Stone. Uh, Zipster Zone. <laughs> zone. <laughs> I get myself all tugged tight here. Um, he had a few of these here out on his site here uh, about a month or so ago. And then recently he put, uh, uh, there's been six of them up on the site there. So if anybody's been waiting for any of his uh, Coco Dax, um, I think there's still five available as of the other day. If anybody's looking for for one, I would. Trevor, what, what is the Coco DAC? Is that like an Orc ninety clone, or what yep, is that? It's like an Orc ninety clone. Um, I'm trying to remember now. There's a switch on it which allows you to. Uh, uh, I think is it switch into a ROM or something like that, so you can actually. Um, I'd have to look at the information again. I was going to print it out, and I didn't get that done this morning, so so I could be a little more prepared. Yeah, because the original Orchestra ninety has a ROM with its own little musical language, and you can compile on in stereo. Two eight bit channels, but I'm, I'm I'm not as familiar with Zipsters. Yeah, I'd have to get a little more prepared on it. I wasn't. I just wanted to share in case anybody's been because there were some comments out on the Discord um, when somebody said there was some available, and a few guys chimed up saying, "Oh, I've been waiting for a while." So if there's anybody that's been waiting for uh, to buy one of his uh, DAX, um, they're out there. So that's all I have for you guys today. That's all. That's all. <laughs> what? The fact that you keep that pace up every week is just stunning. Okay. Let's see. Uh, any other project updates? None, none for me. I, I, I will mention one little side project I'm doing, which is related a bit to what Brian was showing. Um, doing my research for chronological gaming and for the timeline section of my game's website, I've been trying to you know gather up every magazine that had Coco stuff in it or Coco ads in it, um, you know, from the early years. And I'm currently in April of '83 is what I'm doing. Uh, but I've been making a, a spreadsheet grid of every single Coco publication I can find, or even you know more expanded ones that included the Coco, like some of the uh, you know TRS-80 style stuff, or even some of the general things like compute and stuff. If they had any articles or programs or whatever. And um, it, there's a lot. I mean, just going through the stuff in the archive alone, there's, I think I've got like about four dozen different publications over the years. And Brian just showed me one or two I've never seen before and aren't on the archive. So apparently I've got more to add to it. But uh, once I get it done, it's going to have a list of, as far as I can tell, what issues were available, which ones are actually scanned on the archive, either the Internet Archive or the Cocoa Archive, because there's some stuff that's on one, not the other. And uh, Brian will be able to fill in some holes in there, too, by the looks of it here. But uh, for people that are trying to do research for in the future, uh, I'll publish that on the either my site or on the archive itself and update it as I get updates. But eventually you'll be able to find out, like, you know, this magazine ran from this month year to this month year. And these two issues are missing, but we know they exist type thing. Um, so that'll help with some researchers in the future. Are you going to be looking for, like, club newsletters? Yeah, I've got a... Whack a little of my own here for my own local club. Period here, but uh, okay, yeah, I've got a pile. Like I got to scan in all these too. So, and there's there's a fair bit there. So Brian, there's some more coming your way on the scanner. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'll feel for you when you're scanning yours because I'll be scanning mine. And uh, I like the uh, test pattern that uh, 
Bob's got on this uh, panel there. Yes, DC. Yeah, it was a three mug of tears earlier. Oh, Brian Weasel, you're muted too, because I, th- I saw your mouth moving, but I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I was going to ask David Ladd, did, did the group that you had down there uh, where you're at, did you guys have a newsletter? Paging David Ladd. Free Dr. Yes, Pepper. Yes, we did. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if. Uh, the freeze, David. Boy, the one time you want him to talk, dispersed. <laughs> oh my goodness! His, his diet, Doctor Pepper level, and his bloodstream must have fell uh, too low. Crashed. Because <laughs> I actually think when I was younger, I may have actually attended a uh, one or two meetings there. There was a guy that uh, when I was at the mall in his area. Uh, he worked at the Radio Shack, and he invited me down there. And I might have actually gone to a couple meetings. I might have actually uh, seen David Ladd and didn't realize I'd seen David Ladd back in, like, 1990 or so. We're sorry. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no it looks like David dropped off completely. So, yeah, anyway, okay. Connection. Just curious. It sounds like he said he, he didn't have the uh, issues. I wonder if there's anybody else left from the club days back in the day that might still have some of them. Because mine, I had a few myself, and then I'd lost a few mine. But then the f- former uh, newsletter editor for us still had his copies, and he was getting rid of all his cool stuff, which I inherited. Um, so uh, I've had the complete run, I believe. There might be some little handout note things once in a while when we had shows, but those I probably don't. Okay. So along with software preservation, we have magazines and newsletter preservation. Yeah, and the Cocoa had surprisingly a lot of magazines. I mean, one thing I found, like you, you were mentioning before, Brian, that you that you have newsletters. Some are advertised as magazines in Rainbow, but they're basically newspapers or newsletters just really thick. And then you get stuff like the International Color Computer Club, which is based out of Texas, which their newsletter ended up getting a color glossy cover and was 115 pages or something like that. That's a pretty large newsletter. But at one point, and I think it was August or September of 1983, as far as glossy professionally printed magazines, we had five devoted to the Cocoa only that particular month. That was right before CCN folded. And if you want to find out what happened there, you can watch your interview with Bill Sias, who actually was the editor. But there was five dedicated Cocoa magazines. And I'm trying to think, like even for the Atari 8-bits, the Commodore 64 and stuff, was there ever a time where they had five full glossy magazines devoted to the one computer? Hmm. Not sure. And then we had some other ones later on, like Spectrogram and a few others. So we had a few others that actually came that became you know basically professional magazines too. So we but, had uh, the Atari, but one of them was made by Atari themselves. Yeah, I mean, if I wanted to include that, I'd include Tier City Microcomputer News, but that was from Tandy and covered more than just Cocos. So if you want to include that, I guess six. <laughs> but I wouldn't say it's devoted to the Coco. But these were Coco only magazines. Like not covering the other tiers, eighties. I mean, if you want to include those, there's eighty mm. micro, eighty journal. Um, you know, there's a bunch of others too. So it, it kind of proves that you know how popular the the Coco was, even though Tandy did not advertise these magazines in their stores. And if you didn't know about them or got lucky enough to have a local book chain carry them, I mean, you'd have no clue they even existed. The fact that they had enough to sustain that. We had Hot Cocoa, Color Computer News, Color Computer Magazine, Rainbow, um, Color Micro Journal. Um, 
and you know other ones since you know, before like spectrogram and a bunch of others too undercolor which you showed so there, there has been quite a few of them and uh i mean they weren't small either like when that that uh, august or september i think ccn color computer news was 130 140 pages or something like that i think rainbow was in the 200 plus range in fact it might have been up at the 300 plus range at that point they broke 350 a few times um color computer magazine was close to 100 pages Hot Cocoa was over 100 pages, I think, at that point. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff being published, and obviously, they, you know, several of these magazines kept going for a few years. So, I think that was the heyday. It's kind of funny because I used to sort of think of the Rainbow as inferior to the other Cocoa magazines due to its lack of technical content compared to the fluff and stuff. But it was like the Rainbow was good compared to what some of the other machines had, period. It's like we were attracting more. More p- computer as computer and less computer as appliance to play cool video games on, and that was reflected in our publications that we had. Yeah, and I had I had the same opinion. Like I, I first read Color Computer News in probably mid to late '82, and first Rainbow I saw was August. The thing that always struck me about Rainbow though is that they were more beginner oriented and games oriented, as you pointed out. Like the advertisers soon learned Rainbow was the place to advertise games if you wanted to sell. <clears throat> so, I mean, if you wanted to find those later on, but they had a lot of technical stuff, especially later on that OS9 columns and flex and all kinds of stuff. And then, of course, they had, you know, Tony DiStefano and some others doing hardware. Dale Puckett was writing technical stuff. So that wasn't without tech, but they definitely catered more to the beginner than any of the others did. Color Computer Magazine is about the only other one, I think, that was kind of in that that middle ground to trying to cover the whole gamut equally. Uh, and they were they were quite splashier than rainbow i would say they were a bit smaller but they looked more like a a a newsstand magazine than even rainbow did but they only lasted what 83 i think march of 83 is the first issue and they lasted till late 84 i i have no idea why they stopped there as far as i knew they were doing pretty well but ccn we know because it was due to multiple disasters uh physically and personally in in bill's life at the time that kind of caused that to stop And of course, Rainbow kept going probably longer than it should have. But I mean, Lonnie really loved the cocoa. That was one thing. That's why he kept publishing it. Like the last two years, I think he published it at a loss. Subscribership had gone down to like 8,000, then down to 4,000, et cetera, you know, and that tail end. But he kept it going as long as he could. He just about made this 13th year. He was like, I think, a month, two months short. <laughs> All right. We. Ready to move on? Yep. Okay. Uh, game on results. Ken, you ready? If I must. Okay. <laughs> Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Hungry Horus. We had a total of 10 players. We start off with Tasman, who talked about submitting a score, actually was the person that found the kind of a cheat 
but I could find no evidence of him posting a score. So I know he played, but I don't know what he got. Sabhead got 13,392. Mark O, 17,125. Exile in Paradise, 44,460. L. Curtis Boyle, 47,804. Mr. Dave, 6309, 49,800. Buck Owens, 195,351. Jim Rye, 810,236. Sloopy Malibu, 1,704,291. And this week's number one score is Canadian yes, Metro Things with 1,801,569. And yes, I did use the little cheat that Tasman found for that score. Thanks, everybody that played, and we'll see you again next week. Hey, Ken? Yep. Is results misspelled up there? Possibly. I'm looking at it, it's like, because <laughs> that doesn't quite look right. <laughs> it's the Canadian spelling. Hey, it took you guys almost two years to notice. <laughs> that'll get you out of trouble yeah, yeah i have to go back it's been what six shows or something <laughs> at oh, least no, I, that's that's the program i've been using since i don't know like 2021 <laughs> couple, couple of comments uh quickly here uh buck owens in the chat says my score was without the cheat i didn't know about that yep um and then two i don't know really, if you saw it, the mess Okay. Is it really a cheat if it's uh, in the game? I don't know. Well, that's that's um, the next point because Sixy mentioned. I think it didn't work in his version. Yeah, yeah, because that was that. released by two companies, and he has the later release, and that does not work at all. So it looks like a bug that they found and fixed when it got released by different companies. So I don't know how you count that. I don't know. It's it's all in good fun. I, I think since Ken placed in the top two, I think he's pretty well got it. In, you know, say it counts, right? Absolutely, and actually. <laughs> If you use the cheat, once you get up to about two two million points, it's going so fast it's almost impossible to play. So, but can you just sit there and just keep going up to three million, four million, no. et cetera, and not care? No, no? you can't because you ha- you can only get about between a hundred and two hundred thousand per screen using the cheat, and then you have to actually beat the screen and get over to the next level. And oh, okay. once you get up to about two million, the bad guys are moving so fast it's almost impossible to get off the screen before they kill you. Okay. I didn't try the cheat, so I'm not too familiar with it. I just know it has to be about hanging on the bell or something. Yeah, you just stand on the bell and it racks your score up. So yeah, uh, Curtis, I, do you do you put the uh cheats and stuff in your on your list? You know? Uh, my game site? Yeah. <laughs> uh not usually. There's a couple because they're exceptional cheats that I have. <laughs> um, we need to you have the poltergeist one, don't you? Yeah, that one I mentioned because that's a glaring bug that should have been caught <laughs> in yeah. testing. Um, one of the Mark Data products ones, it was a Tut's Tomb or the other one. The two arcade games are kind of toot and commonish. The original author of it, Rob Shaw, actually told me there's a, a cheat mode that's still in the game with a certain key sequence. And I had it up on my site briefly years ago, and they said, I don't want it to be public. <laughs> so I just mentioned that it exists. 
But if you take a look at the source code for the HTML, it's still in there. So go ahead and take a look. Uh, and then the other one that I left on, I think, is Rogue because it's basically they left the entire the, like that's not a cheat mode. That's yeah, got like that's create on, your own weapons, create your own everything else. And I think that's on every version too, isn't it? I don't think so. <laughs> From what I've heard, it's not only on the Cocoa one. Oh, but basically, right. it's it's like a couple k of code they use for testing for creating objects and stuff on the fly whenever you wanted to. And basically, it's just uh, they had to put in to disable. They put a branch never if you did this key sequence, so it would never go there. So you just change that to a branch of equal, and voila, there's your entire cheat mode. So that one I did because I actually list the patch to do it, and the patch is included on the EOU version of Rogue. So if you want to try it, it's already enabled on there. Have fun. One time I went to the doctor because I had Tutankhamenish, <laughs> just like you said. I've never heard that said before. <laughs> It's kind of toot and common-ish. <laughs> Probably because I just made it up. <laughs> Don't All worry, right. there's an ointment for that. Yeah. So, <laughs> getting back on track away from uh, Ron's <laughs> medical conditions. <Yeah. laughs> um, there was. Well, let one, me show you. <laughs> there was one review that uh, Buck Owens pointed me towards that was in the Dragon User June of '84 magazine. And, uh, yeah, they, it's just they're talking about a number of different games here, and they do mention Hungry Horus. Uh, one thing that they mention is it took 18 months before it was released on the Spectrum for it to be released on the uh, Dragon. So um, not sure whether it actually took 18 months to do or somebody just. Did you say June of 84? Yeah. You want to highlight me for just a sec there, Mark? Uh, okay. I'll stop my share there. Okay. If you remember at Boatfest, I got gifts in one, one issue right of Dragon Users. That exact that's it right there. <laughs> that is the one. <laughs> I just that's a wild coincidence. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So go that ahead. has Hungry Horus in it. Yep. Um. Okay. Where was that? That go back to that. Okay. So, as I said, uh, about eighteen months to. Uh, between the time that it was originally released on the Spectrum to when it was released on the uh, Dragon. And uh, this author thinks the graphics were excellent. And if you like maze-chasing games with a difference, then he recommends it. Um, even thinks that uh, Cuthbert has a new rival with Horus on the Dragon. And soon Horus should be skiing and fighting spiders, as he does for Sinclair owners. But I don't know, were there any other... Horus. Horus games, yeah. Horus Goes Skiing actually did come out for the Dragon as well. Okay. And that's kind of a combination of a Frogger-style game for the first half, and then, because basically you're trying to get to the ski hut to yeah, buy your you skis. you got to cross the highway to get the skis. Yeah. And, and then it's you... really hard. It makes Frogger look yeah. easy. And then you have to actually go down a skiing slope, dodging trees I think I've played that on the Spectrum before. Yeah. There's a Coco Coco Slash Dragon version of that as well. Okay. All I don't right, think we so... covered that one on the challenge either. Nope. Haven't covered that. That's interesting. We'll have to try that one of these days. Uh, yeah, so obviously the cheat that we were talking about that got those really high scores were when you uh, go through the maze and you get to the bell, which scares off the park rangers, I guess they are, that are chasing you. If you just stand on the bell, it racks up your score on certain versions. Yeah, and just to give you the specifics here, 60 just posted in the chat, um, he said it's Melbourne House versus Preston Computer Games. I believe Melbourne House is the one that we were using, which is the older one, and then the 
uh, Preston Computer Games is the later one with that bug fixed. He also said the Dragon version looks much better than the Spectrum version. The Spectrum version looks very sterile. I haven't actually seen the Spectrum version, so I can't compare. I don't know if you have, Ken. Uh, yeah, I've said, well, I've seen Horus games on the Spectrum. I don't think I've seen this one, but um, yeah, the Spectrum, the graphics are not as nice. It's, uh, I don't know, not as poppy. Well, I, th- I think it depends because the Spectrum had much vi- like big vibrant colors in the same res as our P mode four, but had that weird you know eight by eight tile. You yeah, it had colors. to be boxed. It had to be boxed. So most most uh, people that made games, especially like a maze game like this, you would just do it all in one color because otherwise you just have a colored right. box moving around the screen. Yeah, we well, had what they called color clash, which means if your character was going in yeah. front of a tree, he would suddenly turn green and then turn back to his normal color after he passed yeah, it. Exactly. Um, I don't know. Anybody else have uh, other things to say about this game? I think it, uh, believe it has five screens and then it repeats. I like the fact that, I mean, it's like a Pac-Man maze game. You're eating dots, et yeah. cetera. So that, that way it's the same. I do like the fact that you, you could not go back to finish the previous screen. So you could not complete all the dots, for example. Yeah. But you didn't. But have you to didn't hold you back. You had to get them all to get to the next screen, like a lot of games at that time era did. You could just say, "Ah, screw it. It's too hard to get there. I'll probably die if I have to get that last line of dots up in the corner." I'm just going to the next screen. So that was kind of nice. It was a bit more open ended than a lot of the games of that era, mm-hmm. which were very regimented as to what you had to do first before you can proceed on. Exactly. Um, Gameplay yeah. tips: Do what do what Ken and uh, Tasman did. <laughs> and Sloopy and Jim. Jim's score wasn't quite as high because he just got bored and quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that means me and Sloopy are easily amused because we both almost got two million points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, in my my case, I didn't know about that when I played it. I get a chance to play it this week, but uh I probably would have been like Jim Ryan got bored doing that. But. Although I do have to say it, it was boring at first, but once you got up above about a million points, it started speeding up so much that it actually got challenging. So, yeah. So it's not an infinite, you can just go forever. Yeah. You still have it's to not have an skill. infinite thing. Like it, yeah. It's like uh, giving the game the high speed poke, basically, I guess. All right. So. Yeah, I don't know if there's much else to say about uh, Hungry Horus other than, uh, yeah, decent little game. <laughs> I don't know if you saw six years latest comments. I'll have to read these out. These are great. Okay, go um, ahead. Uh, Sixty goes, also, what the hell are the Park Rangers in the Spectrum version? They look sus, frankly. And then goes, yeah, but the graphics were clearly redrawn for the Dragon version by someone with talent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sure just- hope Aaron and... Uh, Boater watching, they can comment on I that. Think, from I think over the some pit, games. whoever drove drew it for the um, the uh, dragon version basically was using Mario as a because uh, they really kind of looked like Mario. I thought, yeah, I guess it kind of did, didn't it? Big mustaches running around the screen. <laughs> Another game where we have Mario characters in it. <laughs> It might have been Luigi. You never know. Yeah, could have been. Anyway, so uh, the other game that we were playing this week was Kingpede, which is a millipede clone. And, the only one I know uh, of on the Coco, and it was actually from a tape magazine, which is surprising. 
And a lot happens in that game. It gets very difficult very fast. I was actually, I only played the game a little bit when I did my page entry way back when. So I saw, okay, Millipede, but I totally forgot about that wave of, I don't know what the creature is called, that that the whole line of them comes flying down at you, those white flapping little things. Little worms that, or th- something? or Well, not not the worms. The worms were little squigglies, but there was the thing where the whole screen just filled up with all these white things coming down. You have to dodge and shoot between them all to survive that wave. I don't know what they're called. And that, I completely forgot that that ever happened, and it kind of surprised me on the live stream. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea. what the, I thought the game had crashed or something, and then, no, mm-hmm. I guess that's normal. Oops. But yeah, for for a tape game or for a uh, free game that came with a magazine, that was quite a top tier, uh, top tier game, yeah. and easily, like you were saying on the live stream, that one could have been sold very easily. Yeah, and with no, I'd rank it up there with Colorpeed easily. Yeah, honestly. So it's definitely a good version of uh, Millipede if uh, that's your type of game. Then definitely try this one out this week. Yeah, with a trackball. If you, I gotta do that. Ball, if I can get on the stream this week, I'm dragging my Waco out. I gotta try it. If you have a trackball, do and, it. And Nick, I think you have one, don't you? Or you just have a Waco joystick? Yeah, Waco, Waco joystick, joystick only. Ah, uh, darn! I thought I was gonna get an excuse for you to actually come on and play a game. No, <laughs> he only plays his own games because he knows the cheats for them. <laughs> yeah, it's the only ones he scores well at. That's the only ones I can play. <laughs> Who who else on the stream here actually has a uh, a like little trackball besides myself? Or am I the only one? I've got one, but I don't have a power supply, so I should probably dig it out and see if I can invent that. Because I I I could probably find the brick for mine. I would assume Brian has one. Or five. Brian Weasler or Brian Schubring? Weasler. <laughs> Which Brian do you uh, think uh, if, if Brian Weasler doesn't have one, he'll have one by next weekend. <laughs> no, I, I, I doubt Brian would have just one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I said, I have three for the Atari. I should be just changing the connector. Yeah, but for the really. Atari, everything for the Atari is just cheap. So I assume, that, I assume it's still a potentiometer based. Or, or do you know Sloopy what the interior of the Atari one is? The Atari is um, gray code. Is what? Gray code. I don't know what that is. It's it's a digital format, which digital. no more than one bit changes at a time. Yeah, it's it's actual sort of like old mechanical mice. Oh, okay. Hmm. Maybe that wouldn't work with an adapter. Yeah, what does the uh, the Coco use? It reads like a 64, you know, 063 position potentiometer so you just roll it across and it, it treats it like an analog joystick basically uh, <clears throat> so you can you can whip across the screen pretty fast you don't have to wait for it to go to max speed or you could just play with an analog joystick on real hardware yeah i i played with a real joystick when i was playing but that was my deluxe i got to drag the way the trackball up to that one give it the authentic feel oh there he's back now i can answer the question you're you're muted brian Sorry about that. I had to step away for a minute. Oh, we were just talking about you. Don't worry. How many trackballs <laughs> do you own? Three. <laughs> you know where you quickly ship are. some out to the uh, the other panelists here so they can use it on the game. <laughs> you know where any of them are. Yes. 
Okay. Truck one, yeah. truck seven, and truck 42. Can you give me an exact location? Um, <laughs> <laughs> GPS the location, please. I also need the uh, combination lock number. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I mentioned mention Kingpete is, is uh, because it's a, a Millipede clone, which is, you know, the sequel to Centipede, that it's it's a trackball-friendly game because that's what it was in the arcade. So I was going to actually drag my Wyco trackball if I can get onto the Game On Challenge this week. And play it with an actual trackball. We were wondering if maybe you could do the same. Because you're one yeah. of the few people that might actually have one. Nobody else on the panel has a Coco version of the Waco trackball. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, I was, I'll, uh, I'll, go, uh, I'll go grab one. Get it out. Tell me what voltage its power warp is if it says, because the device itself does not say. Uh, I think it's 9 volts. Yeah, so I, I can double check. Mine's actually in this room. So when we go to a break, I'll, I'll grab mine out and take a look. Yeah, because I have um, I have two in a box, and then I have one that was not in the box and came with no power adapter, and uh, I just bought a, a regular Walwart and uh, had to had to lop the end off and just put a it has like a phone jack type uh, or a headphone jack type of uh, plug on it, so mm. just had to get the orientation right. Um, so like the wonderful Atari power adapters. Yep. Don't accidentally stick them into a headphone jack. Right. <laughs> Sinclair like that as well. Well, what was kind of neat is the original ones, um, and Curtis, I think, has a, one of the original power adapters. That, that cord is like nine or ten feet long. Yeah. That came with it. So You can oh, sit on right. the couch playing your cocoa, you know, propped up by the TV set there. Right. I have a, a, a trackball. It's on a, um, it looks like a big fat mouse, but it's, it's got like a hump on it, and it's got uh, the ball onto the right side. It's the left side of it, I think. Yeah, it's a PC has, style later yeah, model, which um, will work on my Cocoa um, Pi. Yeah, it should work on the Cocoa itself if it's a serial based one. If you got a Arsta thirty two pack and the driver, because I had a Logitech trackball keyboard that had the trackball built in the keyboard on the far right with three buttons for it, and yeah, that actually yeah. I used on my TC nine and my Cocoa all the time. I was kind of curious how well the trackball. I haven't had a chance to try it. I should do. Uh, I should try that as well. But the uh, with. Um, uh, I was on drawing a blank. Uh, Paul Fiscarelli's uh, joystick adapter. I wonder how well that would work with that. Mm. Hmm, I have to try that too because I usually play with VCC with that adapter. Mm -hmm. um, so I can try it. Oh, Kevin, always showing you a Wego trackball. Yeah, now that does not look like the Coco version. That looks like an Atari version or something, Kevin. And you have to unmute yourself because you're muted. Yeah, it's it's uh, the nine pin din, mini din plug or. The nine DB nine DB nine yeah that's what I was trying to say it's a little dusty it's just been in storage but that's exact same as the Coco one except for the end connector on the cable that's the only difference yeah the end connector and I'm not sure if the if the electronics inside are different but because uh, that that one will run with no power Oops. correct there's no power adapter on that one oh there is okay there is on that one okay yep. Yeah, nine volts AC. You guys, or is that, or is that, that six volts, or is that six volts AC? It's not. It's six volts AC. Six, six milliamps. Volt. There we go. Yep, that's correct. Yep. Now, once you said it, that sounds right. Yep. There you go, Rick. Check. Yeah, because I hate to blow one up because I stuck the wrong wall work on it. Yeah. So, what's the polarity on that AC plug? If it's AC, <laughs> no polarity. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. 
<laughs> Operator's choice. <laughs> Which depends if you have hair soldered stuck to it or not. Depends on where you are in the cycle. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, the one thing I've never done is put is ran one of the joystick programs to see what the what what it's actually doing. Is it actually analog where it goes yes. from the zero to sixty three, or is it like a um, no? It's analog zero to sixty three. I have done that. Okay, you have yeah. done that. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So if you have a trackball, try it out with Kingpeed because it's definitely one of the best uh, magazine-included games that I've ever played. Yeah. I'm we're, Ken, we're going to have to make that a suggestion for uh, Aaron and Brent on the Coco Show, I think, because uh, yeah. they you know, want themes and stuff, or sometimes ARG they want. But picking like the best of a magazine game might be a a good topic for them. And that might be a, a contender. Yeah, definitely. I still haven't gone through all the magazine games. There's a, there's some there I've seen that are machine language, but I have never played, never seen. They're not individually put in the archives. You actually have to pull it off the original cassette and disc copies of the entire issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gone through a few of them lately because I've had to fix a few of them for the uh, chronologically gaming and for my timeline page. But uh, there's a few in there that sound pretty intriguing. I've never seen. So I'll have to maybe hit some of those later up too. Yeah. All right, well, uh, Sloopy, would you like to talk about Thursday night's live Game On Challenge while I show some footage? There's a no. Um, Sloopy, <laughs> are you with us? Paging no. Mr. Malibu. Never mind, I'm at nap time. Oh. <laughs> you're you're on mute, muted time? No, nap time. Nap time, okay. That, that's during the news. Well, hey. No, no, that's sleep time. This is nap time. Here is some footage from the live Thursday night Game On Challenge. Yes, and we had up to seven players at once. Thank you, players. Hopefully we have more. It was um, a uh, enjoyable show with uh, two of the... Uh, People, uh, two of the players uh, going back and forth over high score on Hungry Horse, while most people were playing King Pete, as you can see. Uh, hopefully, we'll next week we will get more people, <clears throat> but only you can help that. You can come out and join us in playing in the Game On Challenge live. As you can see in the top corner there, that's the cheat where you just stand on the bell and it racks up your score. Yep. Yeah, those two cheaters. Yeah. Yeah, I think actually I, I prefer to think of it as a um feature, not a cheat. That's taking advantage of a feature. No, no, no. It's called strategy. Strategy. Get it right. <laughs> it's a I just stranger. Think, I just think it's interesting that my uh, very high score that uh, was 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 com- conveniently forgot. I didn't see your very high score. Did you? Yeah, I know because you would have forgotten it. Still, what was your really very high score? Higher than yours, whatever it was. <laughs> hey, you only had a screenshot up there of the one million seven hundred and some thousand. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. 
I didn't post the other one because I didn't want you crying about me beating you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, it, it took me almost 20 minutes to uh, Photoshop it. I don't oh, like... okay. <laughs> Eef, what was that? High quality. Uh, well, I don't know. Did That's you see on the playback? Too? Yeah, oh. that was on the playback. Oh. Okay. There was just too much cocoa goodness going on all at once. Yeah. And it broke Twitch for a second. It went full derp. So, but yes, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's getting to be, uh, the days are getting shorter. It's getting dark sooner. People are coming into their houses uh, earlier. And we, at eight o'clock, I mean, the kids are, are in bed or dinner's done. So what's your excuse not to come out and join us playing? All these wonderful Coco games. Well, for Nick Morantes, it's because he's he's on the other side of the world, so it goes the other way around. His days are getting longer. <laughs> well, Dave David Lattis said he has to stay home and wash his hair. <laughs> I play until I fall asleep. Yes, <laughs> we were we were Literally. to that again this week. <laughs> I guess I forgot to mute. <laughs> yeah, if you look, if you look at the the middle bottom screen, you can see how fast things start moving. That's the screen. The next level of this screen is when I finally died. Yeah, me too. And you see how fast they're moving. It's very difficult to stay away from them. Looks like you rack up three men pretty fast, though. Yeah, you yeah, get, but you only get the maximum of the six <clears throat> men up there. Oh, okay. Yeah, you get one every 10,000 points, and so your best bet is to rack them all up, all six, and then use them sparingly. Now, I have a question for Sloopy, since you're an Atari guy. Mm -hmm. um, Centipede was one of the most popular games in the Atari 400, 800, and the 2600, 5200, for that matter. Um, first of all, was there a Millipede official for the Ataris? Yes. And what was your opinion of the Coco one versus that one? What Kingpede versus Millipede? Yeah, like the uh, the Atari home port of Millipede. Um, I will let you know next week. <laughs> oh, okay, you haven't you haven't tried it? No, or not in a while anyway. No, I haven't. I haven't played Kingpede at all. Oh, okay. Um, I usually play the game that's ending that week. Okay. Well, it might have been because you're racking up such massive scores this time too. You're kind of busy. Um, yeah. Unless unless it's unless it's a game that I'm uh, I'm not in line with. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say that any particular game is bad because it's not necessarily a bad game. It's just not a game for me. Games yeah. It's kind of like Neutroid. Yeah. For the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Neutroid for every person that doesn't have good taste in games. I just said that to make sure Nick's still awake. <laughs> oh, here's the question. Does Neutroid uh, work backwards down under? Yeah, of course. Okay, so it rotates uh, the opposite direction than uh, the toilets up here in the U.S. So no, actually what happens is you're putting the Neutroids back in the, in on the southern hemisphere. Oh, it's additive. You're trying to get them or you're trying to get them. <laughs> 
Sorry, guys. I just couldn't resist. We noticed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Retro Techie, I want to see you in the Game On Challenge. Yeah, please. Everybody's invited. It's just uh, join our Discord. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, you can share a screen. You can play an emulator. You can play real hardware if you got the hardware hooked that up. You can even like, aim a camera at your screen and play it on, on you know, an actual monitor if you want to. But uh, and you can please play feel straight, free to join. You can play straight off of the archive with the uh, Play Now button. Yeah. yeah, not every game has that, but most of them do. I think most of them point. do. Yeah. And I know you have a ColecoVision, so if you have a ColecoVision, you've got to have a computer that can uh, play this. All right, what else are you going to do Thursday? Well, like David, you could wash your hair. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yep, uh, Curtis, I see. Oh, I did find the instructions and gave them a reading. Yeah, they were pretty brief. That's one one problem with the tape magazines, and I don't know why they did this because they published you know a two to four page little flyer pamphlet. And on some of the utilities, they go into great detail, like this key does this, and that you know it does has these options. But for the games, it was like one paragraph. Half of that was telling you how to like copy it to disc or tape if you were coming from the other direction. And that and it been a very broad thing. Like Kingpeed is a centipede style game and that's pretty well they tell you if only there was somewhere they could have published an article with all the instructions for these games or even a proper review or something yeah yeah right here is where i die which actually brings up a question i wanted to ask you ken i might as well ask it publicly you can get the feedback from everybody here we've had a few game sites um that review games like not just publish specs like i do or moby games etc but actually review the game Mm-hmm. Um, the what, what's the guy from Alaska's name that we I talked about a while ago? Um, he's just still up. He's done about a hundred Cocoa games. But I was wondering if maybe we should make a little um, weekly, monthly segment or something of picking a game and actually getting a bunch of people on to review it, as opposed to just doing the high score challenge and just kind of you know, is it good? Is, how does it compare with other versions of that type of game on the Cocoa and maybe even against other platforms? Would actually do an actual game reviews type thing at some point? Yeah, what do you think. Or it yeah. could be a part of this segment. Yeah. Like on the show. Like, like maybe reserve well, 10, 15 I, minutes I, of the show. I usually try to see if anybody else has anything to say about the thing, but uh, usually it's pretty crickety. It, yeah, it sounds like end. Sloopy's house right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Sloopy has a cricket in his house. He was, was doing a Buddy Holly impression. But if, if we make that an official part, say at the tail end of it or the very beginning, the first 10, 15 minutes is actually a review of it or something, or maybe in the middle because yeah. people haven't played it before. But just to get you know, honest feedback, uh, especially those who have played, like if you're playing Kingpeed, you might have played some other Centipede clones and you might want to rank it versus those. Or if you've got another system that has Millipede on it, like an Atari 8-bit or something, like how does the Cocoa version compare? That type of thing, like actual review. Yeah. And like you can even do the ratings thing, like you know, graphics, sound, gameplay, instructions, whatever you want to. You're much more game-oriented than I am. Yeah, definitely something to think about. And we can maybe even, if we give people a warning, maybe do it on the second week of a game or something, that people can even write in reviews that they can't attend because they, yeah. you know, they might work on Thursdays or whatever it happens to be that uh, they can contribute. Oh, there's a swarm of crap. These are just hit it too. And I don't know if you noticed them down on uh, my play down there, uh, at least earlier, I've uh, found... I put the high speed poke on uh, King Pede 
And boy, that's suicide, isn't it? (laughs) It gets intense. I mean, that, honestly, that was one really nice thing about the Coco 3 when you got it, because that was like a bonus. Like, you, we had, most games you wouldn't want to speed up. It'd be a little bit too fast. But there were some that were a bit slow, um, like some of the ones I've done 639 optimizations on, but like Color Car Action or Marble Maze or that kind of stuff. And we had this built-in upgrade. Just do one poke, and all of a sudden, everything's playing yep. double throttle. Yep. And all of a sudden, these games are much more exciting. Yeah, well, King P does not need it. No. <laughs> they called it overclocking. What was that? So we could overclock before they called it overclocking. Yeah. Exactly. But it was just nice. That was a feature that was just kind of built in. Like you, I mean, we had the basic speed up poke if you're running basic, but that didn't work on machine language games that were, you know, third party commercial disc or tape. Um, but it was quite nice having that as a bonus, you know. So some people would go, ah, oh, that, that marble maze was too slow compared to the arcade or the Atari or whatever else. And, you didn't have to buy anything else. You still had the game. You just, you know, reloaded it up on a Coco 3, did the double speed poke, and all of a sudden it's a lot better. Same with the uh, palette command. You know, the, yeah. oh, PN. PN. Oh, I changed the colors. There it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Blue sky. But, but the pink. original colors were so nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially if you're colorblind. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, ha- the original drunk. colors were basically the same as we were playing. We were playing on Horus this. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But Horus was designed. Puyen was a pre-existing yeah. one that we could have matched so much better. <laughs> yeah. It had the All right, potential well, to... I think maybe it's time to wrap this up. Sloopy, again, where can people join us for the live Game On Challenge? When can people join, join us? Coco Discord. And then on Thursdays at 8 p.m., they can join the uh, 8 p.m. Eastern uh, voice chat channel and join us while we play. And do they have to play the games that we're playing? Yes, they have to play the games <laughs> that we're playing. <laughs> and they have to be on the Coco. <laughs> yes. They have to be on the Coco, but they don't have to be the games that we're playing. They can be any Coco game. And the idea is just to have fun, get together, and play some games. Yeah. And if you're really slick, you don't even have to play it on the Coco. <laughs> but I would recommend it because, wow, those pitchforks are sharp. <laughs> and I do recommend, cheater. even if you end up not liking them, I would recommend you try the two games of that particular week. Yes. Um, and then if you're just getting too frustrated or it's just not your bag, then you can switch to something else. Yeah, yeah, because every every game is not always everybody's no. bag. And sometimes you'll discover a game that you've you've maybe seen it on my site or you've seen it in ads and Rainbow or whatever else. And you kind of go, ah, I'm not interested in that. And then you actually try it, and then you're going, hey, this is actually better than I was expecting, which has happened to me a few times. Yep, like Neutroid. <laughs> well, the new the new version of Neutroid does qualify. That he he fixed all the problems I had with that game. It's much much better now. I don't really consider myself a game player, but I found that um, the Horus game actually was pretty easy to get into. And it's like, yeah, if I would have spent more than, you know, half hour on it, I probably could have done much better than my 17,125. So that's something I was stuck with. Basically, the reason that Pac-Man was so uh, popular, it was just an easy game to get into. Yep. Yep. I think I forgot to do a score. Oh, well. Did you forget to do a score, Mark? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't go back to go try to capture it. 
Yeah, Mr. Dave uh, uh, six or nine also said that he forgot to screen capture his score. Well, too. he did, but he also he wrote in, so I accepted that he wasn't lying. So he he wrote a he actually did a post. Oh, you said, did it old school, like the rainbow scoreboard, where it's all people just writing in numbers <laughs> on paper, yeah. and then some of them were obviously BS. I'm I'm <laughs> going to trust it because it wasn't. It was a mid range score, which I got two point two million. Uh huh. <laughs> also, like like some of the scores, they would give it uh, like you if you played the game enough, you knew that the score had to end with a zero five or or fifty or something like that. Like there was no oddball scores, and they would write in some like two million twenty five. You're going obviously you've never played the game because that's not even possible. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what what I think is interesting though about the whole thing is, um, Ken and I got like he got like ten thousand points. And I started playing before him because when I first started playing, I was getting all the little things on the maze. All the dots. Yeah, all the little dots. And he was just going straight to the to the bell and collecting the bells. So whereas my score per screen was more. At the beginning, because I mean, after a while, when he caught up to me and passed me, that's when I started just going to the bells. What I don't understand is that if you look at our games, uh, it looks like the things are moving the same speed. So therefore, if we went to the same level, I should have been a higher score because I was getting more points per level at the lower levels. So I'm not sure what's going on there, but how he got so much higher than me. I think I'm it, sure we, he's going to claim it was skill. We kind of figured out it was a bit random on how many points you got when you step on the bell for how long it goes for. I think it was like 50,000 for the first board, 100,000 for the second, and something like 200,000 for the third. Yeah. Well, I still beat you, so. <laughs> neener, neener, neener. <laughs> All that matters. <laughs> It doesn't matter who wins and loses. It matters that you're just play. playing the game. It yeah. it's, matters how much fun you had. And I really so had fun no. beating you. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're all winners. Would you like to yeah, play yeah. Stick the knife in and twist it. Yeah. Uh, would, you like to go, would you like to go and play Pac Maze on a playoff? <laughs> no, you'll kick my butt. Wait. Actually, I thought somebody gonna... was going to challenge him to Neutroid, but yeah. No, that would, <laughs> that would be a slaughter. <laughs> so would pack pack dude mm. all right well who would like to see what our new game for the next two weeks is i, I want to see it i want to see I, it there's a good possibility that this might be a good one to use the high-speed poke with um okay so we're playing king Pede for another week and we are playing um this game right here oh i recognize this one so one of those oddball ones by Adventure International that was ported to multiple platforms, the Tiris eighty Model 1.3, the Atari 400-800, 2, and it plays oh, no. totally differently on all of them. Well, not totally <laughs> differently, but it's 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 a different game on each. Ooh, ding, ding, ding. Nick is correct. If nobody heard what he said. Rhea God. Yep. So Rhea. By Adventure International. So you're flying... Um, ahead of mm. the uh, stuff, it's all coming up behind you, and you shoot backwards, and you do have a shield. 
And uh, yeah, you just got to kill everything that comes up behind you. Yeah. It does have parallax scrolling mountains on the bottom if you want to go back to the game screenshot. And uh, okay. you don't crash by going in between. You can actually fly between mountains, which is kind of cool. Um, okay, one, two, three. Share. Yep. 32K required, if I remember correctly. I have that information right here. It is color computer, one, two, or three, 32K RAM, tape, or disc, and joystick. Does it play on a dragon? It's joystick, so it should. Should. I don't yeah. know if 60s tried it or not. He'll have a bit of a what, delay before he can answer. What's so you've got, the uh, kill the letters? Oh, uh, that's just the first ready. screen to teach you how to shoot. Yeah, they name each level. So this one, you got to shoot the uh, words A-T-T-A-C-K. Yeah, it's just okay. coming up behind you, and you just have to go in front of it and shoot backwards. And and some of them are cutesy funny, too, the little descriptions of each level, too. I'll, I'll yeah. There's a bit of humor uh, in this. There and is it's by actually, the same author who did Sea Dragon, by the way. There is a lot of variety in the um, bad guys. So. Sixty says he's never played it. It's uh, I saw it on the TRS eighty Model One originally. Yep, I've seen the Apple II version now, and I think the Atari four hundred eight because I think Chronologic Games covered those because it came out for the Cocoa a fair bit later than some of the other platforms because AI didn't get into Cocoa stuff until a little bit later. Uh, so a lot of their back ports like Sea Dragon and Rear Guard and others uh, didn't come out for a while. I never yeah, saw the a good one. backup of that for the Apple. This will be a good one to um, do our uh, review on the show next week, like the comparison where you you were saying before. So we, if we can bring up little videos of uh, the Apple version, the TRS-80, the Atari, and the Coco, then we can uh, d have a discussion. Well, just out of curiosity here, uh, Sloopy and Mark, since you guys have Ataris and Apples, do you guys have a copy or access to a copy of Regard to try it so we can show it on the show in for a comparison? I know where cool. to look. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it. I never, I never had a an offsite backup. I have, I have been actually looking. I, that was kind of thinking about doing that as one of my Satani videos. I know a few dark alleys I could probably look in. <laughs> Anybody else who might have some? It was like uh, Nick. Do you have a copy of the Model One Three One? Yeah, or yeah, I've got that it? one. Yeah, so I wouldn't mind seeing like not just just a video, you know, by High Retro Gamer, but actually seeing somebody play it and kind of, you know, so we can hear the sound effects and see the intros and stuff too, and I and have somebody that's played both for the Apple. So, Sloopy, if you can find the Atari version, that'd be great. Nick, if you've got the Model One Three version for next week, that'd be great too. Yeah, or we can uh, get on the show and uh, have them play. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. What Ken said, not what I said. Ignore me. Yeah, I always <laughs> yeah. do. Um, I'll also look for it for my Apple too. I found this USB one. Oh, the it's not a trackball, but it's a Sidewinder Game Pro oh. GamePad Pro, yeah. nineteen ninety nine. It's got two fire buttons on the back, I guess. <laughs> I couldn't find my trackball one. Is that like one of the first ones or something? I have no idea. I got out of gaming by that time. I don't either. Yeah, I must. I must try the Coco version of uh, of uh, Rear Guard. I don't think I've ever played it. I have played the TRS eighty version a fair bit, but yeah, I played the Coco version a fair bit back in the day. Oh, I found a copy of the TR uh, the Model One version. Iris Cider. 
Yeah. I couldn't find the Apple II version. Mark, you said you found it? Yeah, I want some links, uh, Ken. Yeah. Just shoot yeah. a link for that. Very good site is Asimov.net. Oh, okay. It's it's like the color computer archive for the Apple II. Oh, cool. Well, here we go. Sloopy can get the Atari version. Uh, Mark can get the Apple version. I'll get the TRS-80 version. And we'll play those on for, on the the there Game Boy Challenge Day. <laughs> I'll schedule so it we in. Have, that's right. It'll be a multi-platform Game On Challenge. <laughs> One game. There you go. I guess we can, make, we can make the exception that if you're playing the game of the week, you can show off another version of it. But just yeah. don't go off. Uh, like, like you should Apple. try the Coco version too, because I, what I really want to hear from is people playing both the yeah. Coco version and whatever right. to see. But it would be especially this game because it changes a fair bit. There's a couple others that adventure national, like Eliminator, completely different game depending which platform you're playing on. It it could yeah. be, like it could be a for the live game on challenge. Then you could have multiple versions of it up at once, so you can see them all playing at once. Does it? Like it. Does it require and, a three or does it work on a two plus? Uh, I don't know. For Apple, I haven't, yeah, yeah, I haven't tried. I haven't Apple, tried loading well, it up. Yet. It works on a two plus. Oh, cool! I think it would. I'll verify that. I'm just loading up the Adventure International catalog right now as we speak. Yeah, I'll have to try two plus. I'll actually be free this, uh, well, for us Friday. So I might actually make it to the show or to the Game (laughs) On Challenge. You're going to be free? How much do you usually charge? (laughs) (laughs) Not much. So, will it be multi? It will not be also multi uh, platform. It'll be multi continent. Yeah, what? Yeah, what okay, system requirements for rear guard. Um, tier City model one and three on tape, 16K, 32K on disc. Color computer was 16K on tape, 32K on disc. Atari 400, 816K tape, 32K disc. Apple 48K disc DOS 3.3. So two plus should work. So what time is the show for you, uh, Nick? Uh, I'd have to check, but... Uh, Four and a half uh, hours. Yeah, I, I normally check it nine uh, o'clock in the morning. 11, uh, well, it's it's usually around eleven uh, a.m. on the the day after. Yeah. So I don't know. I think we've got uh, daylight saving uh, ending. Uh, is yeah, it next week? Uh, or? Yeah, soon. Yeah. What would uh, four and a half hours from now be? I'll work it out. Four and a half hours from now, going forward. You mean? Yeah. yeah. It's five. It's almost five thirty a.m. here now, so I go four and a half. What's five nine? Ten in the morning. About nine thirty. Yeah. Yeah. Nine thirty. Ten, 10 yeah. in the morning. Yeah. So in other words, the uh, the live game on challenge happens Thursday evenings, unless you're in Australia. It's Friday morning. At ten a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. At ten a.m. Be that there. Be stuck right. with Neutroid for the rest of your life. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're an hour ahead yeah. from uh, Adelaide. And if you're in, uh, Nat- yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and if you're in the Netherlands, it starts at one a.m. Or no, two a.m. My bad. Yeah, they they should they should have gotten right. right they shouldn't have uh, went from this flat Earth to a round, uh, round sphere <laughs> Earth. Can we go back to the flat one? <laughs> Only Wait, one time zone. The Earth isn't flat. No, <laughs> I was waiting. Australia is not real either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, the, and, those and are just people in uh, south of Mexico. But then how could I see <sighs> Russia from my back porch? <laughs> <laughs> cool. That, that'd be really interesting to see what your guys' opinions are of the different versions of the game on different platforms. So. Yeah, Hopefully, that, if we start be, doing yeah. that more often, too, for the games that you know, there was multiple versions of it <clears throat> or comparative versions, uh, maybe we can get some people, more people involved in the game on challenge that may not necessarily be Coco primary people. But they can yeah, well, try. that's what I was thinking. We can try open it up to a few other uh, other right. platforms, too. Yeah, because I, <laughs> I know from my experimentation, there's been times where like the graphics on another platform are infinitely better than the Coco version was, but the gameplay actually wasn't like there was control problems or something or vice versa where a game looked really good on the Coco, not as good as say a lower res version on a Vic 20 or something yet the gameplay was not as good it was just crappy so it'd be interesting to do that kind of a comparison and we do in a big yeah. screen tv like robert emery's working on right now so there you remember go. that's only part of a video wall so it goes, <laughs> grows from there yeah he'll be coming on with his imax theater version of uh rear guard there <laughs> So in the chat, Keith Clark is asking if there's an HD image, hard drive, hard drive. that contains yeah. uh, all the software. Oh, there's, well, yeah, there is the, uh, on the archive, isn't there that, uh, yeah, the like, all of all things. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, there's multiple versions. There's a DriveWire version. There's the Coco STC version. Is there a hard drive <laughs> image version with the 255 virtual floppies? That I don't uh, know. I don't know, but I think it's. You just load Except he's saying he's mounting in VCC, so you just need the disk images, so you don't need a hard drive image for that. You can just mount each individual disk, which is how it's organized. Now, this so is interesting. Oh, I think what's up in the archive is like just one... Uh, one zip with everything. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've seen an interesting gameplay thing from Sixy in the chat where don't spam the fire button because if you press it too many times, the, the shot's removed yeah, for the time, next yeah, one. It plays like Gorf. Every time you fire your shot, so, so you, have you aren't shot limited to three shots or whatever. You, if you fire more than three shots, you lose one of the shots you've already no, made. No, you're limited no, to one, one shot. One shot. One shot. As soon as oh. you hit the fire button again, your previous shot. Like if you know you fire, like the, it oh. fires fairly slow. So if you know your shot's going to miss everything, you can immediately fire. just start okay. another one, and the old one dies. That's interesting. It's like Gore from the arcade did the same. That takes some getting used to. I will say, if you're not used to that that play mechanic. It also works good if you um, have the bad guys really close to you, then you can just keep firing really fast and the shot just comes out enough to hit everything that's right behind you. Yeah. And you don't have to wait. There's a lot mm. of little tips and tricks in the game that you'll get. You'll probably figure out for your own, but I'm sure Ken will cover some of those on the, on the live stream too and on next week's show. Oh, no. I'll, I'll cover it after I've gotten a higher score than everybody else. oh yeah you have to find your bell trick first and then uh, milk it for all it's worth and... right <laughs> actually i don't care if i beat everybody else as long as i beat sloopy now one one thing i gotta ask you ken it for the comparison video between different you know different machines different ports yeah. of the same game <clears throat> are you going to count those scores if, if the game ends up being either much easier or the scoring is different which a few ports i've seen that too how do you want to handle that I think I think the scores have to be on the Coco version. Okay, um, I agree. Just to make right. it fair. Okay. Yeah, because I noticed like Sea Dragon, if you play on the Atari 400, 800, it's slow. Like you're barely moving. Yeah. 
And if you played on, mm-hmm. on the Coco, even level zero is fairly quick. Level seven's like <laughs> full speed scramble type thing. Actually faster than that. Yeah. So cool. scores with an asterisk. Yeah. yeah, I mean you can post uh post uh screenshots from the other versions, but make sure you label them as the other versions. Uh, yeah, I think the scoring should be based on the Coco, like you said, and then yeah, the rest is for us just to see like what would the other platforms experiencing with the right. same game. It is the Coco Nation game on. So it would be interesting to know. Okay, Fred made ten thousand on the Coco, but he made fifteen thousand on an Atari. So you can say, okay, Atari is a little loose, you know, or something. It'd be an interesting we, thing to know. We, we we might need to check that the rear guard off the uh, archive works. I'm just trying it now, and it it just crashes. Oh, did you get the disc version or cassette version? It was interesting when I when I played it. It uh, goes into it just kind of crashes, then just hit reset and it starts. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Let me try that then. Yeah, if it's like the old Sea Dragon hacked one, it also you could avoid that by doing a clear to protect uh, memory. And I oh, don't remember what it was, but the reset does work. I remember doing that myself. Right. I'll, I'll check it right try. now. I got. Atari is not loose. She's not that kind of girl. <laughs> That's a Commodore 64. <laughs> Dave, but wars are back, folks. <laughs> and we're encouraging it on our from now on. Not oh, like your microphone, Curtis. Yep. I just caught it with my leg there. Just unplugged it. <laughs> yeah, well the cables it's like the cable for the Wyco trackball's uh, power supply. It's like 10 feet long, so it's always looping down by my leg and stuff and if I move my chair, catch it the wrong way, it's pretty loosey goosey as far as staying on the micro USB. I hate those stupid connectors. The zip ties are uh, your friend. Hook it to your desk. Well, the thing is I got to move the mic completely in different spots on different shows, mm. so Gotcha. Okay. I still haven't got it to run. Okay, Brian's running it right now, so Yep. Who is? Yeah. Oh, bring He's actually got it live in the stream. It just hangs there and you got to do the reset and then it pops up. Okay. I'm typing. What are you running it on? A real hardware? Yeah. Real hardware, Coco 3. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. I do a load M, rear guard, and then it. Mine. Oh, it worked this time. This uh, I, I turned it off, the computer off first. And then on again, and now it's working. That might be you oh, got that, a static RAM upgrade, right, Nick? Yeah, yes, that might be because that takes a good 10, that. 15 seconds sometimes to flush the memory out, and basic doesn't fully initialize ah, everything. Okay, so reset works yeah. for for regular RAM, but you need even more than reset to work for static RAM. Yeah, I've heard some other people yeah. say that, like they've had. And weird... I'm sure somebody smarter than me could figure out some sort of a clear statement to put in before you load. Yeah, I remember Sea Dragons. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it's the same for Rear Guard. The the Sea Dragon was clear 200 comma amp percent H 3000, and then do the load amp. But I don't know right. if that was the same for Rear Guard. All I'd right, smart people, out. figure it out. That's your job for today. And somebody, while you're at it, go in and patch it so the rotating world glitch in the graphics from whoever pirated it. Uh, yeah, it I just saw that too. Yeah, <laughs> can fix that, that back the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> My computer doesn't like it. It froze. Stoppy, stoppy. Now, did you hit something to pause it or something? Too. Sorry, what was that, Brian? I'm, I'm using a mouse. And when oh, it, it just froze and locked up. 
Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> I got so nasty. Daisy, Daisy. <laughs> okay, what happened? <laughs> now I can't move left or right, but I can move up and down. That's all you can do. It's up yeah, and down. And like, if you, if, oh, you your pull, ship. if you pull back on the um, the uh, joystick, it should uh, activate your shield. Yes, yeah. it does. Oh, okay. Now, okay. I have to. Well, that might be uh, something that's different with the. Uh, I haven't played rear guard on the TRS eighty model one in ages. Maybe I'm wrong, which is rare. I'm not. I'm not normally always wrong, you know. So. No, you're you're, you're perfect. Computer. <laughs> Remember it again, Nick. No bugs, Marantes. That's it. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ma- freezes. It is. It is working. So. I wonder if there's a way so, to yeah, pause that I'm not remembering. That Brian's accidentally um, triggering. Oh, he, un- he unfroze, so there must be. Yeah, there's got to be a pause button or a pause on the joystick. Maybe pushing all the way to the right or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm using uh, the uh, Coco uh, PS2 adapter for the joysticks and all that. That might be what's causing it. Yeah, I can't find a pause anyway. You're dying regularly now, Mister Shiri. Well, I'm not even controlling it. No, but you're <laughs> dying nicely. <laughs> yeah, you got 15 points. You're doing good. You could probably beat uh, Mark Overholzer with that score. Let me try this other controller. Sorry, Mark. Mostly, I meant uh, he's he's a champion of low scores. This would be a good game in uh, uh, double clock. It's a little bit sluggish, but uh, double Ah, clock speed on it. It was the controller. It does speed up a little bit uh, the higher you get. Oh, Oh, now you're shooting things, yeah. Oh, and it, I think okay. it's uh, you get to choose between an easy and a hard level, don't you? Turner. Oh yeah, you, you yeah, should specify I, what level to play the official game yeah. challenge. So it's easy. Okay. Play easy. 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 Yeah. Well, that's what I just chose. Now I'll play one. Because once you once you hit about five thousand points, it starts getting getting yeah. a lot harder. And I'm assuming that the people demonstrating it on another oh, machine yeah, probably right. do the same you're for right. that option. Yeah. Actually, uh, yeah. Two level two is faster. It's good. Yeah, it's not a bad version. Yeah, I really like the mountain thing. Like, if you fly down, you actually fly between the mountain ranges. It was one of the first instances oh, of parallax okay. scrolling the mountains on the come up later. The mountains come up later. Is that right? I'm no, they, right space. off the bat, you got those. But you, you don't crash. You can just fly in them and dip down. Like, if Brian flies down now, I don't know if he can. Right, for screen two, yeah. So the, on me. Well, that's screen two, at least, right? Where Brian's at now? Yeah, first of the two helicopter waves, if I remember. So you can go between the foreground mountains and the background mountains and actually not splat, right? Yeah, and it actually will show you behind mountains and in front of others, which is kind of cool. Hmm. Good. I don't know if you can steer, though, because I haven't seen him move too much. <laughs> also, it needs artifacting to look proper, and he's playing it on a black and white RGB yeah, style. Yeah, so am so. I. Interesting. The star background is a bit... Uh, Weird looking. It uh, looks like it's uh, moving on a grid rather than being a star background. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see that during the game on challenge. By the way, uh, Nick, uh, 60's asking in the chat, he said, didn't the static RAM actually hide a bug from you once because it doesn't reset unless you power yeah, it off for yeah, like 15 there's a, seconds? There's a few, there's a few, few uh, 
problems there. Yeah. I just got warned by people that it takes a while for the static RAM to forget, unlike dynamic RAM, so that basically if you don't want a mm. real cold start, leave it off for like 15 seconds, then turn it back on. Well, there's my score so far. 110. And by the way, I just want to point out that uh, Kieran is uh, posting scores well. We're having the show going on, so he's not paying attention. He's playing games just like the rest of you people. You're supposed to be paying attention to everything that's going on on the show. I am. Oh. Is there a show on? I thought it ended. Did I miss something? I thought we deemed that any score that was submitted during the show doesn't count. <laughs> okay, good. That sounds like work for me to actually look at what time scores are submitted. Yeah, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> That's just Sloopy trying to make more work for me. Uh, anyway, the- cool game. Uh, the author is Jim Hurd, if I remember correctly. The same guy did Sea Dragon, and he actually, somebody I did get in contact with and actually gave free reign for downloading these, so don't feel guilty if you download a pirated copy of the Cocoa version. We have permission from the author. And it's also on your website as well. The Apple version says John Anderson. Uh, the TRS-80 version will say TRS-80 will be Terry, uh, Terry, uh, and uh, Wayne Wayne Westmoreland and Terry Gilman. Yeah, they did a lot of games for the one one three for the Model One. Yeah, and Sleepy, do you know who the author of the Atari version was? No clue. Geez, everybody else has done all the research on the show already. And you're just sitting there. <laughs> oh well we will and do it all just just bugging you and I with that i not, think it's just about time for I actually was not, i was not informed on what the game was so there was no way i could do research on it well the rest well, of us did it's not i just do any research it's not my fault you didn't show up for the meeting sloopy um, it wasn't my fault that the uh, meeting uh, wasn't was uh, told to me in a wrong spot. I think someone's trying to sabotage me. If you highlight the uh, screen I've got up there, Mark, I've got the actual catalog this first appeared in from Adventure International, and it actually mentions the tar version is by Neil Larimer, assisted by Sparky Starks. That's a great name. Sparky. Ah, <laughs> uh, Sparky Starks, yeah. And the Apple version is the most expensive. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't everything Apple? Uh, of course. Right. <laughs> That's, doesn't that go with the territory, right? That's part of their branding. Hey, man. somebody who spends a couple thousand in the early 80s to buy a computer system should be expected to pay $65 for a game. Or how much is it? I didn't look, but that's what 30 bucks. $30. So 30 bucks. 30 it's only five bucks more. What it's only deal. five bucks more than the Model 1 and 3. Atari uh, 400, 800 tape version is only 20. Yeah. That's but it's good. also only 16K. Yeah, but so is the color computer tape version. True. No, oh, look, look what's right above uh, Rear Guard, too. You guys might remember that one. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Coco exclusive. That was only for the Coco. That has been oh, on the Game on Challenge. Oh, I copped that, yeah. That was a cool one. I like that one. Yeah. Does anyway. the game actually hold the uh, actual um, scores in its uh, file? It, uh, it doesn't say it's got a built-in list, but uh it, you, the ones that you're showing when you're playing the game are only for the session. Ah, uh, okay. Because I'm Professor Splat. <laughs> I'll screenshot it and then you can get you can send it in. 
yeah, yeah. so you can you'll you'll be able to get a screenshot before you turn your computer off unlike some of the games we've been playing lately where it just <laughs> yeah. insta disappears your score Blink. right <laughs> oh yeah i got i got no problem i got screen capture <laughs> hence you can see it so you got proof i've got video of me playing on all the games i play Hmm. The uh, Coco version looks better than the Atari version in men, in some ways. I'm just looking at the Atari version now. Like uh, just screenshots or the actual gameplay? No, just a video. Yeah, the gameplay. So, yeah, the Coco is a good challenger for this one. So I would be willing to bet the Atari sound is probably a bit better than the Coco. It is, actually. The sound is, is <laughs> quite good, actually, yeah. Smoothie, if you find doesn't the Atari have, version, send it to me. The Atari version doesn't have parallax scrolling. For starters. And the shapes are all single color. <laughs> Must be using the, uh, I was going to say sprites, but some people are offended by that word. But, um, but, uh, player missile graphics pic- is that the right term to the, no, no, the, the pixies the yeah, pixies. pixies i'm not using that i'm not using that uh player missile graphics is only on the atari that's right yeah, yeah that's is. what i was asking that's what they call the equivalent i'm gonna look at the oh, apple version now i'm looking at a later catalog actually maybe i'll share this too a later catalog from international but a year later apparently there's a c64 version as well we can try oh okay there you go, Ken. You can do the C64 version. Okay. If I can find Ironically, it. Ironically, on the on the top part, it still says just the Apple Atari Coco Interior City, but you can see Commodore 64 tape and disc down here. So that must have been just announced at the time of this because they don't have the author for the... Uh, see, oh, no, yeah, I guess they do. Com 64 version by Kanat. Same, same guy that did the Coco version. Apple version doesn't look too bad. It doesn't have the parallax either. So 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 far, it's only the TRS-80 Model 1 and the uh, Coco version that's got parallax. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the C64 version looks like because that was a, a later machine I than shall. all the rest and also a later version of the game. I will look it up. What have you started, Ken, picking this one? <laughs> I think we've started. The, <laughs> I think we've started the game on challenge already. I do like this idea of comparing. Like Ken, that was kind of inspired by your videos because you've done some of these comparison videos between two yeah. versions, like Grabber. You I did was actually planning on doing. The reason I chose this is because I was in the middle of working on a video of uh, comparing this one. Okay. Well, now you know all the versions there because there's a few extras that I don't yeah. think you might have known about. I was actually so. just going to compare two versions, but now I'm thinking I, I should compare all the versions. Yeah. I think it's a good idea. And you can actually, like, you know, do it professionally on your video, and then we'll just kind of, like, yammer about it on the live part. Oh, yeah. Professionally. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Are we ready for some news? Uh, how about a commercial we break first? To. Yes, we'll have to do that. Uh, commercial break and then uh, game on news. Uh, yep. Yeah, I'll, I think I'll do the announcements of upcoming um, conventions and stuff first, and then I'll go in the game on news. But yeah.
Hey Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Glenn Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, John Bodefkarschaller, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? He Noodle says, so, in that order. Tristan. Over 30 different systems from Model 3 to Model 100 to Cocos to Next to Mac Classic 2 and so on. I play old games, BBS, and try to interconnect all that old junk. Current Coco setup is a Coco 3, 512K Triad, Coco SDC, CM Monitor, Switcheroo with HDMI. Zach S says, Hi, I'm Zach, and I accidentally misclicked here thinking it was related to the CoPro Nation, the 80387 Enthusiasts Group. But I'm thinking of staying because I know a guy who is really into these Cocos and I also quite enjoy general nerdiness and retro computing, although most of my familiarity is on the IBM PC side of things. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord! Okay, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the, uh, the game news first, though I'm actually going to cover some of the upcoming uh, shows first uh, coming up. Uh, some are game related, some are not, so it kind of fits in. And this time I actually got screen shares to show. <laughs> so first up, uh, next weekend is Tandy Assembly in Springfield, Ohio. Um, I heard on their Discord, I think they sold the last table as of yesterday, so they now have full cast of tables. 
Um, they're, they're actually doing a trash talk show tonight or this afternoon, I should say, 5 p.m. Eastern on their Tier City Trash Talkers uh, YouTube channel. And they will be discussing Tandy Assembly. They'll be going through what vendors are going to be there, what seminars they're going to have, and just general information about the show. Um, hopefully, they'll be monitoring the chat in case anybody has any questions. So you can see here the uh, TandyAssembly.com, which has all the details, costs, etc. And then the Trash Talk is uh, YouTube.com slash at TRS80 Trash Talk. All one word with uh, capital T's throughout, and TRS80 is in capitals as well. So there'll be a live stream there. You'll probably have to click on the live link unless you catch it as it goes. So that starts at 5 p.m. Eastern, which I think is, what, an hour, just over an hour from now? Now we're coming up on... yeah, four? we're going to put four o'clock Eastern now. Okay. So just over an hour. Next up, uh, we have SDF Public X. Well, I guess that's uh, Interim Computer Festival. Sorry. I was reading their top part there. Um, this is in Seattle, Washington. That is on the same weekend. So if you're on the West Coast, you can head over to that one. Uh, they got the schedule on their website here. Their website is sdf.org slash ICF to take a look at for this specifically for the festival itself. Um, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. both days. And um, looks to be most, I don't see any seminars or anything too much here. Um, they have some speakers. Uh, they said that they had like three or four that were talking. Yeah, and they have the lanyard colors saying black is exhibitors demo and speakers, but they don't have anything on the schedule. That looks like a speaker event. Or anything. Plus, um, it's just down through this little bit here. Yeah, these are the various people that have uh, posted something there. Mine, mine's in there towards the bottom, I think. So. Now, uh, Mark, is that something you think you're going to be able to broadcast from a little bit to kind of yeah, show us what the show's I don't like? Know. Yeah, it shouldn't be too big. Actually, there's a link on the site there where it shows the Commodore show they had back in June. So if you want to see what the venue looks like inside with a whole bunch of Commodores, you can click on that. Scroll back. Yeah, I think we'd rather have you talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Yeah, I was just curious what it looked like inside. It's kind of a long, narrow room, but they said they had room for 30-some tables. So, And currently, there's only about 13 people who say they want a table or two, so. Okay. Yeah, because we need to get a live report. Like, hopefully, we'll get somebody from Tandy to send to pop on too, because um, it's the same weekend. So I'm hoping we can just bounce, even if it's just five, ten minutes, just to say hi to everybody, kind of get a feel for like who all's there. Uh, next up, this was actually suggested by James Diffendaffer, I think, just this morning. So apparently, on uh, the same weekend, so a third show on next weekend is the 2023 Ultimate Colorado Pinball and Gamer Festival Experience um, in Denver. And this is all three days it's on. And this is basically, there's a lot of high score challenges and stuff like that. And it's a lot of the old style pinball machines and classic arcade games. Um, players are, get to play for free with admission. Not technically Coco, but a lot of us were pinball and, and you know arcade game enthusiasts back in the day too. So that is something that does have a bit of crossover. I don't know if they'll be doing much with uh, home computers or consoles, if at all. Um, I was hoping James was actually going to be on the call or in the chat to kind of give me more specifics on it because I didn't get a chance to really look at it all that closely. But if you're in the Denver, Colorado, and you want some retro gaming goodness, uh, definitely go check that out. And they use the 6809 too. Yeah, I mean, the Williams games for sure do. A lot of the pinball machines do as well. So we have a tie in there, I guess. Now, I did notice the pricing is a bit high from what we're used to. 
$45 a day, but that's to play all the original hardware all day, basically. So it's like going to the Galloping Ghost and getting a pass for the whole thing. And that, does Galloping Ghost charge separately for pinball versus video games? I can't remember. Or is it one flat rate for both? Somebody Mr. Shurbring, do you remember? Recently. I've never been there. Who was that? I know somebody recently charged more, but I don't remember who it was. Yeah. Brian, Brian Shurbring, if you're still there, I know you've been to it. Which place? Galloping Ghost? Uh, actually, I haven't been. Well, I thought we went there after FUD Records at one time. Um, people did go, but not everybody. I don't, I can't recall if I did or didn't, but I don't think so. Oh, okay. I seem to recall someone stating that they had separated the pinball to a different, uh, different building now. And it was, I'm not it was sure. a separate charge, I think, or a different pass to get in. I think right. I heard that too. That's what kind of what I'm remembering. But I have, I haven't, I haven't been there since that change. Like I know, Amigos and a few others went there this last Coco Fest. They went on Saturday night, and they, they did. They definitely chose right because they didn't have to hear me play guitar all darn night. So <laughs> probably saved their sanity, if anything. And then next up, the weekend after that, if you happen to be in the UK at the Center for Computing History uh, in Cambridge, uh, October 7th and 8th. That's when the big dragon meetup for the year is happening, which I think Sixie had mentioned last week. He's going to be trying to make it there. Uh, Frank Linares of Retro Rewind says, yeah, we went during Coco Fest. It is a different building about two miles down the road. Okay. I don't think I've been to it since it's been separated like that. Anyway, if you're in the UK and you want to meet a bunch of the Dragon people, they'll have some of the Dragon betas and stuff. Uh, I'm sure some of the people that are doing vending and create, recreating the Dragon 32 and 64 motherboards, which 60 is one of them, uh, hopefully they'll have their prototypes down there and stuff there to show you what the uh, the new versions of them are. And of course, there's a, you know, the Super Sprite board and a bunch of other things might be there as well. So hopefully it'll be a lot. There's also usually uh, some other machines there besides just Dragons too, so... If you want to catch in some general stuff. And generally, the you know, Center for Computing History is just a great museum to go through, period. So you've got that to go as well. And 60 is saying yes, unless COVID or something happens, he will be there. And the last one I'll be mentioning today, um, October 13th to 15th, so the week after that, is the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Uh, this is one I think, Mark, you mentioned Tim and AJ are going to, or at least Tim. Uh, yeah, I assume that I've heard they're both going to that. So they don't have a table this year like last year, but they plan to both go at least one of the days. Yeah, we got some live coverage from them last year because they, they were you know doing their live you know sibling rivalry show from there and playing against other people at the show. And are you going to that one, Mark? I, I spaced if you are or not. I haven't planned on it at the moment, but I'll see if I can. It's a couple of weeks after the one I'm doing in Seattle. So and actually Portland's between Seattle, uh, Portland's between Seattle and me. So you know it's like going up north again. But only an hour and a half instead of four hours. I know from the driving distances of Canada, are you said just sounds like you know pittance. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> well, maybe Marco can take the scenic route via West Virginia next time. <laughs> yeah, I add a few thousand kilometers to my trip. Yeah. Oh, well, Canada, Canada, me, I think uh, West Virginia was what about 28, 29 hours, something like that. So hey, that's the ones we'll cover for now. We'll start adding some more in as we get further in, but I, I don't want to 
you know, give some of these shows to like way, way, way ahead of time, like a year or something like that. Cause there's so many other shows coming out, VCFs, et cetera, that we'd spend half a show just reciting shows. So I'm going to try to keep it like a sliding window, like a few months so that people can. The whole show show. Get it right. Might <laughs> as well. I have like a three month window or whatever. So I think it's a yeah. good idea. Yeah. I mean, I do want to give people some warning. So if they do want to like, you know, book time off and book planes and hotels and stuff, they have time to do so. But uh, telling you something that's gapping in a year and a half doesn't really help much i don't think so that's for uh that's it for this time around on what shows are coming up that people might be interested in going to so let's switch over to the game on news itself so i find the right window Okay, first up, uh, TSA Retro Programming has been working on a few different Coco games in BASIC. Um, has got an update on his Tales of Suburbia. Now, he's designed this to be based on tape loading because that's what he grew up with. I'm trying to encourage him to use disc because I don't think too many people use tapes anymore, uh, at least on the Coco in North America, maybe more so in Europe because it's more what they're used to. But uh, this game, the way it's set up, is definitely would lend itself to being on one single disc and it just jumps between the programs quick rather than rewind to 42 on your tape counter and load in the next part type thing. Um, I think also he's added a music option. Uh, we've played the videos before. We have these little musical bits that last 10 seconds between each screen, and that does get redundant if you're trying to you know solve an adventure game to have to hear that every time you switch rooms. So he's going to have it as an option where you can kind of hear it you know once and not hear it again type thing. Um. But the game's getting pretty close to release. It's going to be, I think he said, three or four parts. I'll let you guys watch the video there, but it kind of goes through that. And he's trying to figure out some things to you know, continue working on. He's working on an Ultima-style game, too, but he's looking for some ideas. And I think I'm finally starting to get him convinced to try the Coco 3. Because I think he would have a lot more fun with all the different colors and the palette animations and stuff that you can do on there. Plus, he, he really hates trying to list stuff on a 32-com screen because it whips by so fast he can't find the right line number to look for problems. Well, Coco 3's got 80 com. That'll slow you down. Plus, it's 24 lines instead of 16. So, that, I think it would help him a lot. Uh, next up, Jim Gary put in a game called Third World War. This is a backport from the Metro Alice, the French version of the Coco or the MC 10 that he ported back to the original MC 10. And it was originally by Free Game Blot in 1985. And it's kind of a simulation style game here um you can kind of see it's got uh, a grid on the bottom here uh with different i'm assuming the i didn't get a chance to play it or anything so i don't know too much about it on the top it's reading like allies three enemies one scout and c5 nothing to report so it's a bit of a grid almost like a battleship type thing and it's got a couple things marked in there which i'm assuming is the the player itself and not the computer and you have, kind of have to search around find enemies and stuff so i don't know too much about it i've never saw the original on the metro alice but uh Another game port by Jim Gary for the MC-10, which he's actually slowed down the last little while. I'm sure he was getting ready for uh, school and stuff here because he works at a university, so he's probably been a bit busy. Uh, next up, Retro Gaming Nook on YouTube did a long play video for Septani based on Imagic's Dragonfire. And um, as he puts it, on an original Tandy Color Computer 1 in all of its RF glory. And this is because he tried playing it on the Coco 3. Now, I think Sockmaster, somebody has done a patch to get Dragonfire to work properly in a Coco 3, but A, because of the tight timing things to, you know, mix the screen color sets on the same scan lines, it, it you know, the timing on the gimme 
is a little bit different than the original VDG Sam. So that doesn't work properly. And he's also having problems where if you're in the second room where you've got the interior of the castle and you got a dragon throwing fireballs at you, you're supposed to grab all the treasures, that half the stuff of the screen would disappear. So you wouldn't even know where to go to pick stuff up. So you couldn't get off the damn screen. So uh, he was having some problems with that. So he switched back to uh, Coco One and he does have some, uh, let's say, quality issues on his RF. <laughs> I'll play a little bit of the actual gameplay. Wow, that did different. It sent out a low one. So it's a little bit blown out. He said it looked better on the actual screen rather than as captured. Software, this looks a bit more blown on the capture. Might be better with the other joystick. I'm using the self-centering one. But for those of you who have not seen this game or played it before, this is a bit of a technical marvel on the Coco 1 and 2, and you know, especially for a game that was sold by Tandy. So if you guys know about the Coco 1 P-Mode 3 graphics, you know you got two color sets. You've got one that has green, yellow, blue, red, and you have a second one, Nick Marini's favorite, that has white, cyan, magenta, and orange. Right, Nick? Yeah, right. <laughs> the Puyan palette, as we call it. Yeah. Um, but normally, you, you like I've seen some games and stuff have used a trick where they've done like, you know, a 10, 20, 50 scan lines down, they'll switch the color set. So the top part uses one, say, a score area, uses one set of colors. And then lower on has, you know, the different set of colors or even switching between text and graphics modes. Like a good example of that is Musica. Musica 2 would put text stuff on the top of the screen, I think it was. And then the graphics, the musical staffs and stuff in P-Mode 4 on the bottom. So you can actually just switch the mode it's in partway down. Well, this went a heck of a lot further than that. What it does here is it actually changes the color set multiple times per every scan line. So we're talking precision time because you only have 57 CPU cycles per scan line. But you'll see, and I'll just, uh, you guys can see my mouse cursor on the screen here? Yeah. yeah. You can see here, we're doing the cyan white to do the castle. Then it switches to the blue red here, and then switches back to the white. But if you look down here, we're using this color set one with the blue cyan and the white, switches to the green, switches back to cyan and white, switches back to the green, switches back to cyan and white. So it's changing the color set five times per scan line here. And that takes some incredible precision programming to get that to work and not tear and go all over the place. And in fact, if you try on the Coco 3, it does tear and go all over the place because the timing is just a little bit different, which is why they had to patch it. Um, I also believe there had to be a patch for the Dragon. This is a game that Tandy did not sell for the Dragon. Uh, most of the carts they did sell in North America, they did sell. Now, Nick, did they ever sell this in Australia? Because my understanding was no. they didn't want to bother converting it from NTSC to PAL no. with this kind I of don't. timing. No, I didn't see it. Okay. Because uh, somebody did patch it for the Dragon. That one is available, I believe, even on the Dragon Archive. 60 can correct me if I'm wrong. He might even been involved with doing the patch. I'm not sure. But they did manage to fix it for 50 hertz, which would be even more tight timing. Um, actually, yeah. no, I guess not. The horizontal sync would have been the same. It's still 15.75. It's a vertical. It's different. But yeah, this this is a bit of a programming feat. The game itself, pretty simplistic. But honestly, when you're having to switch color sets that often, like literally five times within 57 CPU cycles, um, you don't really have time to do much else. So I think Definitely most of the AI and stuff would have... What's that? Definitely gives you a lot more colors, which would be very appealing. And especially yeah, colors if you intense activity, then it's a good trade-off. I am guessing that this bottom part here, after the bottom of the water and the moat's gone, this entire last part is just color set one instead of zero. So I'm sure most of the AI and everything else would have been done during this part of the scan and yeah. then on the V-Sync refresh. Because from here down to here is just constant changing color sets. So I'm guessing that all the graphic movement, sound, AI, and everything else is done between that and... In the bottom, yeah. Back. Yeah. 
on the V-Sync. So that that's a programming marvel. I was very impressed when I saw that. Um, no, it was an impressive, crappy game, but um, it's an impressive feat to get the colors. Yeah, and as as Mark said, it does look more impressive. Like it's a bit blown out here. It does look better on, you know, a non blown out screen. But uh, having all eight colors at once did make it look a lot better visually. The game itself yeah. does have some challenges. You start getting opening bars on your platform. You've got a hand lobbing fireballs at you from the top of the left uh, part of the castle. The fireballs that are getting thrown out the doors, you know, start speeding up individually or in pairs. So it does it does go pretty good with challenges after as you get further into the game. But yeah, it's it's pretty simplistic otherwise. It's basically just dodge stuff, run through a door, and then gather treasure and run through a door. That's that's the entire game. Mm. So you could check out the full video there. He actually shows a little bit, I think, on the Coco 3 where they tried it and it just doesn't work properly. I knew Nick would like this one. Oh, yeah. There, now there's a game. <laughs> <laughs> now this is by Attempts, a gaming channel by LGR. Now, I'm assuming, is this the same LGR that's like one of the top retro YouTubers? Uh, Ken, do you know? No, it's just LR, not LGR. Oh, is it? I don't know. Let's type that wrong. So anyway, this is a 12-minute uh, video gameplay of uh, Nick's Donut Dilemmas you can see on the screen here. And this is an attempt to actually get an official entry for high scores on multiple high-score websites, including Twin Galaxies, which is uh, probably the most famous of the batch. I didn't even know that Coco Games were on these uh, high-score sites, so maybe we should be throwing some of our Game On Challenges ones over there. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, had you heard about this, Nick, that there's an official? Ah, no idea of that one. Okay. So in this particular game, as you can see on his title, he made it uh, score 14,720 up to floor number nine. And of course, in these, you can't cheat and everything else. You just have to play it straight through. So that was his one playthrough here, and he made it. Now, the Coco version has 10 levels or 11? Uh, 10. And the Model 1, 3 had 9, right? 9, yeah. Yeah. Because I had a single-digit counter for the levels. <laughs> now I know and you I made expanded. a version of Donut Dilemma for the Maximite along with a Pac-Man game which Buck Owens isn't playing because he just got a Maximite he um, got the latest Maximite yeah now I don't I didn't include that in the news because it's not strictly Coco but uh, did you want to talk about the Maximite a little bit just so people know what it is if they have one uh, it's been it's been through a few revisions it started off as a black and white kit computer that runs a, a version of BASIC and it uses a PIC32 microcontroller, uh, but it ran fairly fast. So well, I I wrote uh, the the Pac-Man game for the Maxim the original Maximite in BASIC, and it's basically it's a it's a Pac-Man. And then later on, <clears throat> there was the uh, color color Maximite came out, uh, which was color eight colors, and I wrote Donut Dilemma in BASIC and. Uh, it looks pretty good. But since then, they have done a new version of the Color Maximite, Color Maximite 2 or whatever, and they've upgraded the basic, and apparently the my programs are not compatible now anymore on the new, on the new Maximite. So I don't know what differences they've done, but it's, it's again, an even more powerful version of the Maximite. Uh, there's actual arcade uh, quality games that run on it, I think largely from basic. So it is pretty impressive, but it's 
I don't know how big the market is for it. It's an yeah, because Australian... this was actually an Australian design machine too, wasn't yeah, it? It's an Australian designed and and made uh, uh, computer kit computer. So, but yeah, I did the um, a Pac Man and a um, I don't know if you've got the link to my Maximite. You can always show what an eight color donut dilemma looks like. I don't have it handy, but if you want to fire it up in the background, we can segue uh, to you before uh, I go into the. Okay. I yeah, did want to ask you one bit. question. Like you, you made these two games in basic uh, for both versions of the Maximite. Um, did that actually have hardware sprite support? Like I know it's a pick, but did it have simulated sprite support? Or did you have to actually do your own masking was, and all that kind of stuff? It was um, well, the hardware didn't, but the software, the the basic interpreter created software sprites so from basic you could create sprites um i think it's been a while since i've 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 used it but uh um just trying to find the maximite site oh i found it well we might be able to switch up switch over soon then okay well i've got one other aussie related story here and then we'll i'll let you do it just one just one quick question for nick though is there any coincidence between maximite and vegemite is there is that is that just no no none no one tastes terrible i I can say one difference is i would rather eat the circuit board of a maximite than to eat vegemite (laughs) (laughs) sorry didn't mean to deviate but (laughs) and next up a fellow aussie brian palmer who's been typing in some basic games from uh several of the cocoa related uh, Australian magazines, Australian Rainbow, Australian Cocoa, Soft Gold. Uh, this one in particular is from Soft Gold. So this is World Weightlifting. Now, this is one that Brian actually had the magazine, went to go type it in, and then found out that rats had chewed through or mice had chewed through it, uh, part of the page, the second page of the game. So he couldn't finish typing it in. So he implored people, does anybody have this copy of Soft Gold? Because it was not on the archive. And uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. Rachel Tony Hobart did actually have that issue with an intact version of page 16, sent it to Brian, and Brian's been typing it in. Um, he has not uploaded it to Facebook, and I haven't seen it on the archive yet, so I'm guessing he's still doing some play testing because when you type in a basic program, bound to be a few errors here, typed in you know, a zero instead of an O or you know a D instead of an O for a variable name, and you, know, you have to play a fair bit of it to find out that one little thing was wrong. Um, but he's got some shots here you can see on the screen of the title screen and stuff here, which is basically a weightlifting game done in P-Mode 4 graphics. Um, the one thing I found interesting here is that this second screenshot, now you have to excuse Brian's using a really, really old version of MAME that didn't do the pixel ratio right, so it actually would stretch it twice as wide as it's supposed to, so it's like watching a, you know, a narrow program on a widescreen TV, except even worse. Um, but you'll notice here that the WWL logo for weightless, weight, 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 world weight lifting, yeah. Um, actually has a blue artifacted background, which that would not have worked on a PAL Coco. That would have been just white stripes uh, and made this WWL almost impossible to read. So I'm kind of surprised that was in an Australian magazine, to be honest. Anyway, the original version was done by a Duncan Fenn, who was only 14 years old at the time he wrote it. And I don't remember specifically what issue it was, but uh, expect that one to be showing up either on Facebook as a disk image and or on the Color Computer Archive shortly after the uh, testing is done. You want to try a game that we never saw in North America or in Europe, probably either. And then I will let Nick brag. I mean, talk about the Maximite stuff he's done. Well, let's see if it works. If it doesn't doesn't play very well, we won't worry about it. But 
I've got it there, and I'll go full screen. Is that coming uh, coming across? Yep. Yep. All right, I'll hit play. <clears throat> so this is written in BASIC, uh, and this is just on YouTube, a video of it. Um, as you can see, Donut Dilemma, similar style. I've got the title page where it um, bounces the donuts everywhere. The character is just a ripoff of Mario. The sound effects, it plays um, Amiga mod files. So they're... Did you say samples, basically? Yeah, that's right. So that's what the, what's making the sound. You can see a slight flicker. I don't know if it's coming through on the... On the donuts, the, um, yeah. Zoom. So, the, yeah, so they're not hardware sprites, but all the sprite routines are being implemented by the basic itself. So it has sprite commands, which actually I, um, because the author or the developer is in uh, Australia, I remember sending him notes saying, you know, here's an idea for sprites and here's an idea for a, a blitter and a few other ideas. And I, I gave him the uh, syntax to try use, and he did. He implemented it. So I'm responsible, I guess, for the uh, the sprite commands for the Except version. Have back they then, changed now in that new version you were talking about, yeah, or are they just they incompatible? They may have changed. So, so, uh, and that may be why the the game doesn't work anymore. But on the original one, yeah, it was me who uh, suggested the sprite commands and the. Um, there's a blitter command and a few other things in there. That yeah, looks actually pretty good. That's eight colors you said at once? Eight colors. Eight colors, yeah. <laughs> same levels as on the Coco. It was the same game, but it was all done in basic. Yeah. And like I mentioned, uh, Buck Owens actually has a Maximite. Two now, I think the new one, Color Max by Two. Yeah, he's got the new one, and, it, and um, I don't know how he got to play it if uh, it doesn't work on that. I don't. I do have a, one of the new Maximites. I just haven't had a chance to actually try it. I've been too busy um, making money with Coco. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, buying Ferraris. <laughs> So for those who don't, didn't know that uh, Nick did some programming besides the Tier City Model 1, 3, and the Coco, uh, as far as the games field goes, here you go. And there was two games you made. You made a black and white Pac-Man game for the original Maximite plus the yeah, eight-color uh, donut dilemma. I do have that here somewhere, too, if, uh, if you want to wait a sec. I'll see if I can go back to it. Ah, maybe not. You need to keep looking for a bit, or? Uh, no, I think I found it. Now, that's um, the Donut Dilemma. Where's my Pac-Man for, or Max-Man, I called it. If it's going to work, here it goes. So, uh, Pac-Man in basic. Pretty high res. Yeah, I was just gonna ask. Do you remember yeah. what the resolution was? Three uh, under four hundred horizontally. Three hundred. It had some weird res, 
because the graphics was all done in the interpreter as well. All you had, the only chip really on the on the board on the computer was um, a microcontroller. There was no video chip. The microcontroller via software created the video and the sound and everything. This picture looks over zoomed. Anyway, rather than try to be uh, show how stupid I am. I won't and this doesn't it. this doesn't sound like uh, mod files this time. Is this just built-in sound routines? Yeah, yeah. The very first one didn't have the mod files. It just had basically like a, bit, a sound command. Or Scott Cooper, command. Tasman suggested you should have called it Vegemite Man. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I thought I'd just put together a quick now, video now, about my little how to stop this thing. <laughs> okay. Okay. There, a bit of Nick gaming history. Well, actually, if you want to wait, since you caught me on that, I'll stop the share. There we go. We're back to normal. Okay, so on to the regular news. So let me share that. Ah, no intro today. Ah, if you must. Yeah, we want to see the hair. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon... MC10 and all of their hardware cousins no matter what it takes or where news breaks from around the world to your nation the Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle But hey, so first up, we've got Alan. This is part of all the Septandy stuff. Um, Alan of AC's 8 bit zone put out a video about building a mechanical keyboard for the Coco from scratch. Now, we've got mechanical keyboards available. We've got both Rick Ulan has got the replacement for the Mylar. If that gets too worn, you can replace it with real switches, etc. But you still get to use your Coco keys. Um, we've got Ed Snyder has his complete replacement where he laser etches the keys himself. You can pick any color pattern combo you want and even custom make keys. I know he's famous for putting, I think, a Battlestar Galactica Cylon is one of them on the brake key, if I remember correctly. Um, what Alan has done here is he's actually ordered keys from other, you know, a generic keyboard manufacturer. Then he actually goes through and shows how to make the entire thing basically from scratch. If you want to custom make your own. Um, he also goes, and now we 3D printed this here to hold the keys, and he's actually put in a jigsaw blade to strengthen it in between two of the folds. So you put the jigsaw blade in there, and it hardens it, and he's testing it with a t- 10 pounds of weight on it to make sure it's not going to, like, bend and bust on you, which means even kids can, like, bang on the keyboard and they won't die. So he, he goes into a fair bit of detail on it here. And there's a, you know, a set of keys he bought, and he goes through and picks the ones. Now, unlike... Rick's using the original keys you already have, which obviously are designed for the Coco in the first place. And then Ed, of course, custom laser etches the key, so they match with the Coco. There's a few here that are a little bit wonky uh, because you're getting some generic set, you know, meant more for PCs. But uh, it actually works pretty good. And if you're a person that has a 3D printer and skill, which I don't, um, this might be an option for you to get a mechanical key keyboard for, you know, probably about as cheap as you can get one for a brand new one right from scratch. So cool video. Thanks, Alan. And uh, I won't play it here because it's almost half an hour long, but go check it out. 
Uh, next up, uh, Dave Erie. I don't know if he's still in the chat or not, but he's been showing some uh, using software sprites on the Cocoa 3. And he's also been doing a little bit with page flipping, which is what this particular video is. He's actually got another video he's in the works of doing because a lot of people are requesting because he mentioned that his sprite routine does handle going in front and behind objects on the screen. The demos he's done so far have been on a black background, which you can kind of cheat and do that and basic, you know, pretty well on its own. Probably not quite as fast. That is ML routines, but uh, this one here is basically just page flipping. And I, he threw some background music into it, which is not part of the actual demo, I don't believe. But basically, this is like a 16 color screen <clears throat> with about four or five animation frames. It's just page flipping through 32K screens. And you can vary the speed. All right. Um, We've used this technique on, on Nitrous 9 a fair bit because you can create up to 16 or even 32 if you set up a custom boot file of, of device windows. So you can actually have 32 screens your page flipping between if you really wanted to. Um, good for demos. I Probably not quite as useful having that many screens page flip for an actual game unless you like write a huge game you want to have to like redraw the screen every time you just want to flip to a different screen to take over. So it might be good for something like that, like maybe an adventure game, etc. But he's working on uh, uh, another demo that hopefully coming out the next week or so that does show the sprite routines that we showed last week going in front of and behind objects without destroying them as it's drawing. So look forward to that. Hopefully we'll get in before the end of September. Uh, Coco Town had a couple videos this week. So we've been monitoring his uh, Moon Patrol Resurrection, which is a game he tried writing as a teenager and never finished because he just didn't quite have the skill to pull everything off that we came pretty darn close. Now, the first video we released this week was a bit of a side jaunt. Um, and he goes, can I dial up my Coco into BBS at 300 baud in 2023? Because he still has his uh, 300 baud modem. It's actually a phone modem. So it's actually a, a phone with the keys and everything on it for dialing the phone. <clears throat> combined with a little 300 baud modem built in. And some people are still running, like a lot of people are running BBSs on Telnet, so you can hit it from a modern you know, browser Telnet client. But there are a few that still let you actually dial up as well. So he was trying out a few of them, and he's using Mikey Termin, an older version. I, actually, I sent him a comment because the version of Mikey Termin got that he's using, I think, 4.0. Now, he discovered recently he has a Tandy T1 VDG Coco 2, and has had it the whole time with true lowercase. And Mikey Turn, Mike Ward actually did version 4.7, supports that chip. So he actually can log in with full lowercase on it, which he hadn't tried yet. Um, but he tried a couple of BBSs and like, you know, one 300 baud was so slow, the thing thought he had uh, timed out. So it just kicked him off before he actually got to get fully logged in, et cetera. Uh, but he did manage to get onto a board. And for those of you who have done the BBSing thing way back in the 80s here, this should bring back great memories of 300 baud. So I'll just play a little clip here. Uh, Eat. I don't want to make an account. I just want to be a guest. But I ran my BS 300 baud from February of 83 till I think the Coco 3 is when I pumped up to 1,200. The one time it was actually useful, Commodore... Uh, it's at least receiving my... CompuServe charged much better. less for 300 baud. So for live chat, you would use that speed and save money. 
Yeah, and you didn't like on chat. You know, basically, it's as fast as people could type, which wasn't usually too much faster than three hundred baht. Right, and it costs <laughs> a lot less. They, and they can't keep it up. So even if you do get behind, you're just a few seconds, and then you get all of it. So yeah, but it's funny because I mean, although like he hit about four or five different BBSs here, most required or wanted twelve hundred baht or higher, uh, right. or you know timed out because they were set for a twelve hundred baht or higher. But uh, they were asking like, "What's your screen width? Forty or 80? And he goes, I have 32. What can I do here? So it's, it's, it shows how much the, the BBSing scene had changed even back then because people were running these old BBSs from like the late 80s and like the 32 column just wasn't supported. I think the VIC 20 had, what was its character width? 22? Yeah. yeah so a really lot of that it. isn't there anymore either. You, you need yeah, at least okay. 40, which I mean, for the Coco 3 people, that wasn't a big deal. We ran at 80 column all the time, but. But I wanted to show you his modem too because this is one I'd not seen very often back which, in the day. And then it's it's going there at 300 baud. Sweet. Are there numbers you can... But you can see here, it's actually called the modem phone. It was a manual, not an auto dial. So you actually had to like originate an answer. You had to set those, you know, with this little switch at the top. <laughs> and then you had to dial the thing manually, which he actually goes through and demonstrates on each of these. So you dial some long distance number to try to connect to a BBS with a real modem on it. And then so, switch over. Yep. Yeah, yeah, brought back. I, I, you can tell the old timers here because uh, a lot of people are having right. memory flashbacks right now. Actually, because an Apple guy I didn't bother to start this low, I actually got a, a US Robotics, what they called their password, which was uh, 300, 1200 with AT commands. So, But I knew people had had that. That must style. have been mid later because the original Hayes mo smart modem was a 300 bot only. That's what a lot of the people I yep. knew had. Right. Yeah, this was 85, I think, or 86 when I got that. So, yeah, this would have been 82, 83. I knew people that had styles like this. So, yeah, I originally had the acoustic coupler from Radio Shack, and then I switched to the JCat Novation Novation JCat, the little tiny three hundred baht auto answer. That's what I actually ran my BBS on for a while. Ooh. That was such you know fascinating. You can actually tell it to dial. Like you hook up a little thing and do the click click click. It doesn't even do tone dialing. It would do the <laughs> You know, basically simulating the hand pulse styling hanging up. Yeah, pulse styling. I I actually ran a modem pack as a modem pack for a little while. So, yeah, the three hundred baud built in. Yeah, so that dates me quite a bit. <laughs> you know, what What's amazing is he actually still has a uh, pots line. <laughs> exactly, because <laughs> those are being phased out right across the country. So, uh, won't be too long. There won't be any more dial tone. Except a VCF. <laughs> yeah. Because they bring in the whole, what is it? What is it called? PBX system or whatever it's called? Yeah, the, PBX. Right, right. The whole phone system is there. Ken, you were at uh, VCF and Sleepy. You were at VCF. Did you guys take a look at that booth? Briefly. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, good. I briefly looked at it, but uh, yeah, I was just a little too uh, busy to look too in-depth at it. Okay. And, and could, are they could, getting rid of the phone lines in Canada too? Because there's a lot of places <laughs> where we don't have cell phone coverage and people still have all landlines. So, yeah. Well, there's that still people with fax too. Well, but even the landlines now are digital. I mean, mm -hmm. my AT&T setup, the phone from the phone company is a digital yeah, appendage. Now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's even if it comes on copper, it's digital. So, yeah, it's the analog it's, ones that are, uh, the FCC has decided to let the phone companies get rid of it's happening yeah, like already TV in like California. Signals. Yeah. Although in general noodling, I've been able to put the older, slower, like 300 baud, 1200 baud modems on this thing and they do quote, 
work. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah. There's quite a bit in the chat here too. Like Phantom 8 bit says my first one was an Avatex 1200. That was my third. That was the one I upgraded from the JCAT, which was somewhat haze compatible. Didn't have the full haze set, just enough to get by. Um, which I actually ran as my uh, Coco 3 BBS for a bit too. And then I got a Zoom 2400 and then I went to a 14.4 and a 288, 33.6, 57.6. Phantom 8 bit also says I still have my 14.4 and 33.6K modems. Mark Siegel said, I had a 2400 baud modem in 82. Can't remember the brand. That would have been friggin' expensive in 82. Because uh, I'm trying to remember the original Haze 300 smart modem was like seven, 800 bucks, I think, when it first came out. It was hugely expensive. Yeah, it was hugely expensive. That was Apple prices. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I had a practical peripherals 2400. Uh-huh. I remember seeing those. I didn't have one of those. It's still it's in the closet somewhere. I never throw anything away. <laughs> Sixty says I, uh, but I never personally ever used a modem for IP. My first home connectivity was a work supplied ISDN line. That was the one twenty eight K. Nice, yeah, two sixty four. Yeah, two sixty fours. Yeah, yeah, we had that at work briefly yeah. before we actually got. And fun fact, buddy at work on our ISDN times accidentally set his router to automatically reconnect every two minutes, and every time you make an ISDN call, it's a toll. Uh, he got a pretty bad phone bill that month to turn in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had bad. Like, I didn't realize these most of these BBSs, especially the very beginning when I got it, were long distance. <laughs> so I was calling in the middle of the day. This is back when, you know, you had a 65% discount between midnight and 8 in the morning and a 35% mm -hmm. discount between 6 p.m. and midnight. And I was calling right after I got home from school. And sitting yeah, on there for like rates. two hours. <laughs> All right. And you get like a phone bill. Of, you know, my parents bring in. Why do we have a $600 phone bill? If we knew what his parents said, we'd know his full name, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Franklin Harris of Retro Rewind said, um, we have to switch to VoIP in Canada by 2025. It will still be over copper, but will be G729. I'm not familiar with G729, but... And Obviously, Mark Siegel said he was using a lot of copies for back end. He was actually active on the, the Cocoa forums and stuff. The OS9 forum, that was the main meeting. And the, the uh, level two version three upgrade, all of that was done over CompuServe. So, yeah. And then Mark was directly involved with that as well. Yeah. I, I kind of miss the old BBS days, honestly. I mean, I mean, obviously, we can do this type of stuff where you can zoom in at video calls with, you know, live video streams from all over the world type thing. So it's not quite like that, but uh, simplicity of doing the same type of thing with text, you know, talking to a sysop at three in the morning, you know, and he's in Halifax or something like that, you know, type thing. It was, was a lot of fun. Hey, we and we didn't need the big companies to go through. You know, it was just, you know, a phone call. We were doing mm -hmm. social media before it was a thing. Right. Yeah. CB yep. chat on exactly. CompuServe. was yep. another popular one. Sysop chat, leaving messages back and forth on the, you know, BBS systems. I know somebody was trying to get a Coco BBS system that wanted to show it VCF, but I, I I was trying to find my old copy of my old Mustang BBS that I wrote. And I, I found a corrupted copy of it, so I'm still looking to see. Because I'll just wrote it in the archive in case somebody wants something that's kind of already set up to run the Bitbanger on a Coco 3 at 1200 baud. It'll, it should work. Had some online games and stuff, too. And then he did Game Resurrection Part 6. Now, this is the final part of the Game Resurrection series that pertains to his original code as a teenager, which he's been kind of reassembling, figuring out what discs have the newest versions of whatever. 
This particular part talk covers the explosions and scoring. And he found a little few glitches. Now, he did mention at the end of the video uh, that this is not the final episode. He's actually going to see if he can fix some of these things up today. Now, I don't know if he is planning on going through with like completing the entire game or if he just wants to like fix up some things that he just couldn't solve back then and, and then we'll be done with it. Um, but I'll play just a little bit here so you can kind of see explosions. Blowing it up here. So there's kind of a center to the blow up and we do some kind of random colors in this kaleidoscope pattern. So I'm going to continue with that. And we continue and it sort of expands out, expands out till it encompasses the rectangle. And then we enter this phase where from the center we start erasing the debris. And luckily everything is just right over green. So we can just like erase it all out. Oh, it looks like uh, we just blew up again because the shooting kept happening. That would be another bug. So I apparently blew up the enemy twice. Uh, so there we go and it's erasing it again. Let's see if I can blow it up a third time. Yep, okay. Guess we'll add that to the list of things that I might <laughs> or might not fix. <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> and he goes through the actual code. That's the kind of things I think anybody's developed games hits that kind of thing where you just something stupid. <laughs> like it keeps just re blowing yeah. up and re blowing up. I don't have any bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Except your memory apparently has gaping holes, but <clears throat> it is a wide lexicon. <laughs> I do want to catch up on some chat things here because there's been a few people responding even to stories that were quite a bit earlier um, so Frank said that uh, G729 is a VoIP codec um, 60 said oh that's why my friend was dying American BBS's via satellite because of the things you could do with the call of rooting here uh, Buck Owen says going back an hour Twin Galaxies has high score tracks for around 20 Coco games did not know that uh, that donut dilemma was likely Luigi Ruffalo, a prolific high score guy. I did beat his donut dilemma score though with a big smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve Rasmus says I did assemble a color maximite one just to play donut dilemma, so that's how he solved the problem. He didn't use the color maximite two. All right. Well, uh, <clears throat> go ahead. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, the Maximite 1 was different, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Daddy says, so again, I posted it earlier that the link was filtered. Um, the Seattle Pinball Museum, which we talked about, is one of the upcoming events here. If you're visiting Seattle, like if you're not a, a local, apparently, it's $23 admission for adults and all set for free play. So basically just a flat 23 bucks and play as much pinball and classic arcade games as you want. So that's a lot cheaper than what they had on the website there we showed earlier. And he said some retro games, not a lot. Donkey Kong and Miss Pac-Man. So his apparently it's only two. It's mostly pinball. Okay, so I think I caught up to the chat. So hey, go check out Coco Town's uh, thing here because this is basically, like I said, the last of where his code was left off as a teenager. And now he's going to start going through and seeing what he can fix. I really hope he completes the game because it looks like he got pretty far. I mean, basically, it's like you know proper scoring and you know different levels of going through different things to come onto the screen to come after you type thing. Um, 
and obviously, I mean, his skills definitely good enough to do if you watch any of his other stuff where he's done all of his other assembly language stuff, you know, recently. Uh, next up, 8-Bit Rerun, which is a fairly new channel on YouTube. It's only at 14 subscribers. Um, posted a Septani video about a Cocoa 2 clean and retrobrite. Um, this is a PAL Cocoa 2, because you can see that color is uh, spelt correctly on the back when I show that bit. Um, spelt correctly. <laughs> now, I'm not a guy that does cosmetic fixes, like, you know, fixing the yellowing, etc. Um and scratches, etc. But he used a method here that I'm not familiar with. Maybe you guys are, and I just have missed all of this. Um, and it seems to have pretty good results. Now, this is actually to repair case damage, not just color. And I stupidly didn't write down the exact thing where he's talking about it, but I'll see if I can find it here. He does a standard scrubbing, cleaning, blah, 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 that everybody else does. And you can see it's a bit dirty on the inside there. Ah, here we are. This part. Oh, is it like a baking soda mix type of thing? Uh, might be. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. It was something I'd not heard of. That's the dress. Yeah, it's... I've made a baking soda, baking and, uh... soda and window oh. cleaner. It's effective, window but we need to use it cautiously since it's abrasive. I'll start with a rag for general areas, then switch to a Q-tip for precision. So I say you're kind of filling it in with this mixture, it looks before. like? No, this is just a cleaner. There must be something else going on. Time to tackle the remaining marks. So it's like an abrasive. Yeah. Yeah, but the filler must be somewhere else. Nearby. See the case damage and see a lot. Yeah, I thought he had. Yeah. yeah, if it's just scratches, that's a little different. Yeah, no, I like the soda and Windex as an abrasive. That's that's slick. This looks like eraser. it might be actual case damage. In the lower left there, that might be like one of those melted cord things. Yeah, All I right. think. Those he had a cable burn. I'm reaching for some ultra fine sandpaper. Oh, okay. Here we go. This is what David Ladd uses to brush his teeth. The finish using the Q-tip and baking powder paste. Okay, so there's still a dent, but it's not so obvious. So it sounds like Mark and, and possibly Rick, you guys are familiar with this baking powder paste he's talking about. So what what is that exactly? Is this super glue, super glue and baking? Soda. Well, no, there, yeah. there's two there's two things. Uh, I think Mark O is talking about. Yeah, the super glue and baking powder that makes it build up, and then you can sand it down and fill in things that way. Um, but here Basically, he's just, yeah. you, but here he's just using it as a bar, bartender's friend or something, a little baking soda and Windex to clean everything off of everything and sand it where the edges don't show. And it's just kind of smooth it's down. fine and enough to get down into the texture. Exactly. Without, without removing the texture. Exactly. Okay. I hadn't heard of that technique before. That's kind of cool. It's helpful. It's, well, I'll have to remember that one. Anyway, you can check out the full video. It's just over 12 minutes <clears throat> and on the 8-Bit Rerun channel on YouTube. So uh, Go ahead. Chris in the yeah, chat says the uh, the fillers, baking soda, and super glue. Um, 
Since that's how I put together Coco Three of questionable treatment after the case got run over. Yes, sir. <laughs> if you need super glue with body, just sprinkle baking soda over it, and you'll have it. Yeah, no, it says you. Can you get yellow baking soda for the yellow cases if you don't retrograde? <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Put a little little food color on your baking soda. Yeah. And Chris added too. He said the baking soda acts as a catalyst for the super glue. It drives dries very quickly, and you can build up to strengthen broken parts. So it sounds like you can layer it on if you you have one to kind of let it. Yeah, well, unlike it unlike like a bundo. Yeah, unlike gobs of super glue, which just aren't strong. Baking soda and super glue mix becomes like you say a bondo and just puts it oh, okay. together. I, I I had no idea this even existed. That's cool. <clears throat> Uh, next up, 8-Bit Boys on YouTube. Uh, finally got around to opening a box for Septendi that he got from fellow YouTuber Geek with Social Skills. We've covered some of his videos recently, and he's actually active in our Discord. Uh, almost a year ago. So <clears throat> I'll just play a little bit of the beginning of talking about the history of this whole package thing. So this little tweet you see here was actually from back. What's happening? Ooh, we lost audio or something, perhaps. What was that? Uh, the, it, it's like everything stopped. Yeah, nothing's moving, no audio. It's just... Oh, it's playing here. Um, I'm going to stop the share and restart it. Curtis was enjoying the audio, just nobody else was. Yeah, yeah. he was having a good time. <laughs> hey, it wasn't my internet this time. Did you? Did you share it down and bring it in and set oh, it go. up in my office? That conversation took place between me and Geek with Social Skills. And that's what this little video is going to be about. The package that arrived on November 15th, 2022. What was in it? One of the longest unboxing videos I've ever heard. <laughs> Now, this, you said this is a barn find. I'm thinking, is this the Coco 2 that Tim Linder rescued and gave to Geek with Social Skills last year? I was hoping Tim would be in the chat or or even Geek with Social Skills would be in the chat to kind of flush that out for me because I think that's the one that Tim had found. We also found that Model 3 that was kind of ratched up. It was all rusty. And then he sent that one to Adrian or how did he send that one to? I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah it was Adrian. But this one actually came with a couple of goodies, um, which was kind of cool. I mean, it's got the original manuals and stuff here. Spectrum analyzer, it looked like. Yep. Yeah, it does. And the uh, card manuals. Unfortunately, he didn't actually fire it up and run it yet. But interesting serial number, which I think Tim had mentioned at the time, too. 0001234. Manual looks in good shape too. Yeah, I'm hoping he'll have a follow video actually running it and see what what he thinks of it, and you know try the audio spectrum analyzer. Which I mean, I mean we've covered it before, like a year or two ago, that you know some assembly language programs have actually taken a look at it from other platforms and going, that was amazing. They got that to work with the six bit DAX we have. 
type thing. Auto spectrum as is quite accurate given the limitations of doing it through the six bit PIA. Ken, yeah. um, I'm going to mute it. You can just talk a little bit. Ooh, this I guess is, uh, talk about myself. Yeah, I know it's your favorite thing. It's, uh, Nick taught you well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so when I got back from my uh, trip to my cabin um, on my way home, I stopped by some guy's place in Saskatoon, some Curtis guy. Anyways, yeah, so really uh, boring guy. Yeah, he just wanted to talk about OS nine, so I just grabbed some stuff and left. <laughs> hey, yeah, taught him well. <laughs> anyway, so uh, a bunch of stuff here that I will be doing videos on in the future. I just uh, did a quick video of unboxing everything. Actually, one of the things that was pointed out to me, this uh, disc case, if you rewind it a little bit to actually show the disc case when I take it out of the box. A little more. Uh, that should be about right. Anyways, oh, um, the disc case, it actually says... 3.17 centimeter five and a quarter inch discs. Huh. Does it? So yeah. What the heck do they mean by 3.17 centimeters? Where did they get that number from? Because that is definitely not a translation of five and a quarter inches. No. It's not it's even two and a half. There's roughly two and a half centimeters in an inch. So that doesn't make sense with anything. It's not even accurate if you go the other way of going 3.17 inches to five and a quarter centimeters. 2.54 uh, centimeters per inch, exactly. So that was pointed out in this video to me by uh, 8-Bit Show and Tell. That uh, that's now, now he really wants some 3.17 centimeter discs. We <laughs> <laughs> <Not at> all. <laughs> But what was Radio Shack thinking? <laughs> Actually, I'll pause it here because I got a private message from David Ladd. He was surprised you'd never heard of this card before. I had heard of it. I just, it didn't place as soon as I saw it. Like, Oh, okay. I, it's a little hard to read here, but it's a Microworks cartridge, the DS69A, which uh, for those of oh. you not familiar, that's a video digitizer. Yeah. The first now, version. If, if if Ron Delvo is still on the call, there was a DS69B, which was kind of optimized for the Coco 3. There was a DS69 before the Coco ever came out that Microworks put out for 6800, like SWT PC computers and other things too. Uh, Ron, I believe you have you have the B or the A? I have the A in it. I sent it in because it broke and they made it a B when it came back. Okay, so Ooh, Ken's now B. got the earlier A version. Okay. Yeah, that was Coco 2. So you had one back in the day. I have a video on my uh, Ron's garage that shows how it works. If you want to go look at it sometime. Yeah, I've been reading the instructions on it. I just have to uh, get myself a uh, either a Y cable or a multipack. So I can use you have it. to be careful um, not to put the cartridge in. I think what I had done is put the cartridge in when it was when the uh, um, you know the, on. Uh, digitizer yeah. started. No, when the multi-pack was on. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I, I must have screwed it up. So I sent it back. They didn't charge me a dime to fix it. So it was great. Anyways, anyways lots, feels... of, lots of goodies here that um, I'm going to be able to uh, play with. Yeah. As I mentioned there, you actually have Coco Max 1, the original, and Coco Max 2. 
So yeah. You've got the complete set there. Um, I think you mentioned the video too. There's one or two things you're probably the most excited about. Did you want to mention those as a kind of a sneak preview of the, some of the videos you'll be doing? Uh, well, definitely lots of game discs. So I'm excited about that. But also there is a uh, computer with uh, an interesting add-on. It's a Coco 2 with a banker switcher. So 256K of memory. Yeah, that 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 one I'm looking forward to too because I couldn't get this when I was doing brief testing of it. I got it to boot up as a 64k Coco 2, but I couldn't get it. And it looks like there's a couple wires that I think from looking at the schematic. Yeah. And I'm not an electronics guy. It looks like there's a switch you're supposed to install to flip it on and off because there was some software compatibilities with stuff like Telerider 64 and stuff would not work with the 256k enabled. Does I'm anybody kind of on the patent go ahead? Ken. Sorry. Well, I was going to say I'm kind of interested in uh, booting up the 256k and then. Um, putting in Frank's uh, um, Retro Rewind's uh, diagnostic cartridge and see if it we'll see if it has a clue what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing <Hey>. no. <laughs> Frank, you aren't done yet. <laughs> Found something yeah, you, you have to upgrade that, that uh, cartridge for, Frank. <laughs> I should yeah, and that one he also added composite video too, so you've got a Cocoa 2 with composite out already yeah. pre-installed. Yeah. I assume that the, uh, the 256K was only really ever used as a RAM disk. Uh, RAM disk and print spooler, and it was also used for P-Mode graphics. You could reserve, I can't remember, do you remember what said in the instructions, Ken? It's like 170 screens. I haven't gone through the instructions too closely <laughs> yet. So, And they patch basics. You do like P-Mode 4, 128, and you could you'll right. have a ton of screens there. So, uh, Ken? Yeah. Uh, I've got one of those bankers. Okay. Oh, you do. Uh, let's see. At least this one here from. Right here. Let me stop sharing so you can make yourself large. So we can see it there. Make myself large. Large and in charge. Not through eating, just on the video. Yep. And big in thyself. So it's, uh, this guy, right? Not yet. That's a Does that's that a distro uh, one meg card. That's just the one meg upgrade, oh. isn't it? Is it? Okay, then I got then yeah, I got to grab. There's uh, additional uh, boards with that. I've got one. Then I've grabbed the wrong bag. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, okay, so that one had the circuit board, and you uh, piggyback the RAM, right? The JNR banker. Uh, I haven't actually opened the computer up to look at it yet. So, okay, I, I did open up briefly, but I don't remember. I do remember they sold a two fifty six k and a five twelve k version of it. Uh, I guess, but yeah, it was I mainly. Should, uh, uh, hang on, so let me uh get out of my closet and get back to the screen so I can take everyone up. But I think maybe this is the. Uh, My question is, why is it in a box and not in a computer? It's this guy, right? Or you haven't seen? Yeah, it's it got yet. a couple of wires come off it. That might be the one. Yeah, because yeah, they have that like it. So, yeah, so the, I think this is where the switch went. Is on that one, and then these were uh, the extra uh, address lines to the RAM, and I think you piggybacked the RAM on the uh, uh, on the computer. You know, like mm -hmm. on a Cocoa 1 or 2, you had the, the bank of 8, and I think you piggybacked 
uh, your two fifty six on top of that. This one, uh, this one says five twelve k. Oh, you got the maxed out one then. So, so yeah, I should reinstall Ooh. that someday. Cool. Yeah, if somebody else if you get stuck on it a bit there, Ken, I can help you set some experience with it too, because obviously I haven't. And plus, mm-hmm, if yeah. you're gonna ask me for electronics advice, you might as well just shoot yourself in the head. And I've got um, the manuals <laughs> still somewhere. I've got the manuals here, luckily. Okay. Yeah, they came out with a couple. I think there was an installation. Yeah, there's the one user's and, manual and the installation manual are here. I think they're on the archive too, if I remember. I did take a look to see if I should scan them in first. Okay, but this actually came with the extended basic manual and the the full sized color basic manual, which is still not on the archive. We only have the mini fourteen chapter early release when they weren't quite ready yet. Um, someday one of us is going to have to finish scanning that sucker, in, but I don't <laughs> want to destroy mine, so that's pretty well have to to get the extra couple sections. I think I might actually have a couple of copies of it, so I'll have to look. Yeah, because that that that's still the one bottom one here, the original color basic one, the full size version of it. That's still to me the best basic manual ever written for a home computer. That's right. It's really thick, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the one that they released at the very beginning when the full version wasn't ready, they basically did section one, skipped sections two, three, and four. Um was the one published for the first five, six months, the Cocoa. I think in early eighty one is when they did the fixed up full version. And that's the one that's scanned in the archive is the old, you know, 14 chapter only doesn't have the machine language section, doesn't have the stuff on doing, uh, I think random cassette file stuff. Some of the field are not, that's this basically I'm thinking of. there's, there's a bunch of extra stuff, like more technical stuff that they added in that, uh, is not in the original version of that manual, which is what's on the archive right now. Hey, anyway, Ken's got a lot of stuff to play with there. He had what three boxes I gave you, I think. Uh, yeah, well, two boxes in a bag. In a bag, yeah. So some software, some hardware, something for everybody. Oh, and happy birthday. Where are you? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> Sloopy, are you still on the call? I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> Can't see on the side here. Yeah, he's completely gone. Okay. So Slippy was on this, and this was uh, our jab master talking about a Cocoa 3 that he picked up at VCF Midwest, and you can see on the upper left there, and you can see Slippy on the upper right. Now, Slippy got called away, and he asked, because uh, I was in the chat, because um, he mentioned that this stream was coming up about a person unboxing a Cocoa 3, so I actually popped in and joined the show for about a, well, an hour or something like that. And uh, kind of he went and tested the Cocoa 3's working fine. He's got to get a Cocoa SDC, et cetera. And then the guy in the middle on the top is Joe from Joe's Computer Museum, I believe. And he's got a Cocoa 3 that he actually had done on a stream a year or two ago that I had covered. And, top you know, center is Joe. Yeah. And uh, he actually fired up. He's got two meg in it and everything else. And I said, oh, you should fire up Nitro's 9 and give it a shot. So he had the original you know, archive version, which doesn't have the GUI set up and doesn't have command history properly set up and a bunch of other issues. So I said, why don't you just go grab EOU off my site? So he did fire it up and he actually showed people the GUI later on the show. So if you want a, like a beginner's look of um, Nitrous 90 OU for just a couple minutes, um, it's in the video as well. But uh, more talking about getting, you know, 
Cocoa Threes into the hands of people that have never had one before. Didn't really know too much about it. Um, one video I did not put in the news here, but I should mention there was an interview with David Heine and uh, Bill Hurd at the uh, Kitchener uh, Cocoa Show that was on last week that Frank helped sponsor. And hopefully Frank's still in the chat. Um, at one point in there, they were actually having a roving um, floor cam. So the person was taking the camera so that David and, and Bill could see what they were showing. And, of course, covering Amiga stuff because that's what they're, they're famous for. Mm-hmm. But they went into one of the side rooms there to show a prototype of the Amiga 3000 or 3500 um, instead of the retail version of it. And there was a Coco running Nitrous 9 EOU right next to it, which I, you know, since I didn't watch it live, I couldn't bug him about it. But uh, I'll have to ask Frank about that at some point and see what that was setup was about. Those cool people are doing some Tandy videos covering EOU that I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, next up, a uh, person named Drake on YouTube. Did, did, their Tandy was also a Coco-related one. Uh, this is a Coco One boxing with some extras. Now, this actually came with a fair number of extras. So I'll play a little clip just when he's doing the unboxing at the beginning here. And he's a Canadian, too, uh, from my understanding. So you should recognize at the start here, of course, is the Ed Tasman box. So obviously you're getting the cartridge version of Diskette Dasm, the editor assembler, as well as the manuals, as we just saw from Ken's. And I think he's got the full size one as well. Now you notice right now that's not a Cocoa Stock keyboard. That's a Mark Data Products upgraded keyboard, which I think Ron, you have some of those. Yeah. I think one or two of the other people in the year might have these as well. Correct. Which is basically the same as the Dragon keyboard, which is a beautiful keyboard. Got some of the original aluminum handled uh, joysticks when the ends broke off. So I'll have to either fix that or use it as a sawed off shotgun joystick like I did. Mm-hmm. As a thumb operated. Now you also notice here now that he's getting closer to the case here, you can see that uh, he's got a power LED light that the person had installed. So this is not just a stock, obviously, because of the keyboard, but they've also added the power LED light. The uh, Radio Shack badge is actually on the left so this is an earlier one i think this is pre-f board so it's got to be a d or an e i'm pretty sure it's an e-board he didn't open up in this video but i'm pretty sure it's an e-board because his uh, rams badge here from tandy is a 32k model now the d board was only marked for 4 and 16 and usually radio shack replaced the board if you took it in to get it upgraded with a e-board which is rated for 32k so i'm pretty sure that's what he's got and he's got some cables and stuff. He's got a dry wire cable that came with it. Actually, was kind of interesting. So whoever I had think, this, I think Radio Shack published uh, the directions for the D board sixty four. They did, tech and things. they did upgrade a couple. Like from the people around here at the four or five Radio Shacks that were pretty popular, the Cocoa people, a couple of them did do upgrades on the D board. Yeah. But most the D, of them exchanged it. Yeah, I think earlier than the D, you had to you had to upgrade the board. Yeah, the C board yeah. for sure. But I know, like my friend Dwayne, he took in his 16K D board. He went upgrade to 32K and extended basic, and it was delayed for about a month. And yeah. then when he got it back, we opened it up and he had an E board. I mean, somebody <laughs> so was need... being lazy. Yeah. And that uh, that wrapped in the plastic here. That was the original Chiclet keyboard, so he actually has the original. And then he's got some other bits and pieces there too. And fired up, and it worked right off the bat. So once again, I mean, generally with Cocos, you don't have cap problems that some of the later retro machines had, because that was before they started making all the bad caps that everybody complains about and leaks and stuff. So um, hopefully it gets uh, to 
try some of the software and stuff later. I'm, I'm not sure if he wants to hit Edtasm as his first project, but <laughs> he did <laughs> play the one game, game cart he got with it, which is Megabug. I got a question for you guys. Do uh, Does the um, older gray case uh, cocoa have the yellow bar on the side like the Cocoa 2s do? It can. Can the video? Yeah. Now, one thing we talked about last week is that most of the time it appears to be, what is it, a 555 timer chip or something? Yeah. But there's also a uh, capacitor replacement that Ed Snyder recommends, if that doesn't work. Does anybody know any details on, on that? Because no. I kind of wanted no. to follow that up no. last week. That would make sense, though, because the 555 needs a cap to time it. So it's a set. So if one okay. don't work, do both. <laughs> Because if I like, I, I'm not an electronics guy, but from what I understood from because somebody sent me the link to Ed's talking about this on his site, and it sounds like this is a recommended change, even if you don't replace the five five five. Like this cap works better than those stock in this one that put in. value a little bit. Imagine yeah. that happening on the cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a uh, something that's been getting talked about for a while in the Tandy assembly. And also on the uh, Tier City Discord, a lot of people can't make it all the way out to Springfield uh, to go to Tandy Assembly, um, especially the cost of hotels and stuff there. So there's been talk for a couple of months now of trying to get something set up on the West Coast. Now, they actually have something that they've announced officially this past week. There is going to be a meetup at the San Francisco State University on November the 4th between 2 and 5 p.m., but it's not a full show. It's basically just like a gathering of people who want to kind of talk about you know, Tandy computers. They are planning on making this into an actual full-blown Tandy assembly show in the future, but this is just kind of a meetup to see how much interest there is. It's just a third little three-hour, almost like a users group meeting type thing. There's a sign-up sheet. Um, you can get to the show notes there to get a link to it if you're interested and you're in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I would highly recommend it because it'd be nice to have something on the West Coast that people can go to too that are interested in all of the TRS-80s as well as the Coco, as well as the Tandy 1000s, the Model 100s, Pocket Computer Line, etc. And there's a few people that will be there that are regulars on the Trash Talkers show that can't get out to Tandy Assembly on in Springfield that often themselves. So this is a way of having a second one set up. Kind of like um, the Coco used to do with Coco Fest in Chicago and then the Atlanta Coco Fest. You know, for the north and south, basically. So this is kind of that same idea. So anyway, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area or close enough that that's not a big trip for you, like I'm imagining, Mark, you're probably not too far away from there. You could do it in a day's drive instead of like a day and a half. Nine hours to the Bay Area for me. Okay. Only about 45 minutes by air. Yeah, there you go. So at any rate, um, like I said, you'll go check the show notes there on the Discord. Uh, which are already published there if you want to grab it now if you wanted to, but uh, that has the link to go if you want to sign up for it. Or you can even actually say, I do not have planning to attend the meetup or you're not sure if you can make it type of, they just want to kind of gauge the interest and see if they have enough support to actually have a full-blown show, say, next year. Next up, we had a couple here uh, from Boise, all related to the same project. He's got a couple little parts of it. So he's uh, mentioned that they've got OS9 Level 1 ported to a project called the Phoenix F-256 Junior, which is a real hardware system. And I'm assuming it's using a, C a FPGA of some sort to simulate a 609 because this thing runs at 6 megahertz, the equivalent of a 609. So it's you know more than twice as fast as even the Gimme X maxed out. Um, 
I need they've got drive wire support already running in here, booting OSN level one. So I'll just play this just a quick little clip just to show it running. It's kind of hard to read, unfortunately. It's filled in with a lot of stuff we probably didn't really need on the screen here, but uh but you can see he's actually you know sending stuff, the drive wire is responding. So he's grabbing command stuff off the virtual drives. And for us used to seeing level one on a Cocoa one or two here, this is literally six six and a half times faster. And then he's got a bit of here kind of explaining it, which for the audio listeners, I'll just read this little bit out here. Um, now that OSI level one is running well on the Phoenix F556 Junior, I'm looking for forward-thinking individuals with programming skills to help push this exciting new platform forward. At 6 megahertz, 6809, 512K of flash and up to 512K of RAM, 320 by 240, 256 color graphics, tile and sprite support, two SN7640 sound chips. I'm not familiar with that particular one. Is that a 8-bit or 16-bit? I think it's the one GMC uses, if I remember right, Coco Junior. Okay, so with two of them, that would be stereo then. Okay. Joystick ports, built-in ESP32 port, high-speed RS-232 port, SD card interface, DMA. All of this fits in a mini ITX motherboard that you can put in a modern case, all for under $300 for the entire chunk. Uh, Plus, the designer is supportive of the OS9 community and wants their help. OS9 Level 2 is on the horizon, and Stephanie Allaire has plans to team up with the Turbo 9 guys, which we've talked about on the show before as well, to support their new core, which will increase the performance even more beyond the 6 megahertz 6809 you've got now. This isn't a pie-in-the-sky dream design on paper. This is a real piece of hardware that is available now, and Level 1 OS 9 is already running on it, ready to go. Uh, and works at it advertised. Come on board and have some fun with us. And then he had posted a link to their actual site there if you want to see the actual hardware. Here's like an example with a real floppy drive hooked up. Um, integrated keyboard, future CPU options. Um, they're talking about, like it supports a 65C816, which is like the Apple IIGS style chip, I think. Yes, it is. Plus a six in a 6.29 megahertz, 6809, some of the options and memory, et cetera, cartridges, some pictures of the boards, et cetera, there. So if you want some information on it and get into more detail, um, you can just go to their site and check it out. If you want to talk to Boise about it, he's been actively talking about it in the uh, report. Uh, what's the standard six or standard nitrous nine channel the 3.3 release version he's been talking about on there you can ask questions there or on facebook where he's posted it in the os9 nitrous nine and color computer groups on facebook so cool stuff happening there this is an update to a story we covered before the dithertron website which we talked about was starting to work on adding support for the vdg chip and this is a site that will take any modern style graphic that you want to throw at it, like a JPEG or something, and then let you with a whole bunch of different settings for, you know, dithering and all kinds of stuff here. Uh, we'll let you convert to a graphic format for older retro machines, 8-bit machines. And we showed a few examples uh, before the C64 Multi, et cetera. Well, they've added in the VDG stuff. So we've got CG2, 3, and 6. So this is the four color modes. They've got support both the palette sets, color sets as we call them, uh, 128 by 64. 128 by 96 and 128 by 192, the last one being Humulde 3, basically. And you actually can actually fiddle with them and then you can actually save them back off if you want. And you can save it as a ping, which probably wouldn't be too much use if you're going to use an actual you know game on a Cocoa or MC10 or the binary version of it. So you can actually just grab the data out and start using it. So they have this little sample picture they always use. Um, can't remember what the name of it is. Basically, it's uh, for the audio listeners, it's kind of a 
it's 18, a Monoye, I think. Yeah, it's, it's probably a late 1800s painting yeah. of a river shore or something like that with people wandering around. Um, the park or something like that. I think it's like 1897. Okay. Try um. Try the Williams say? machine. Pardon? What? The Williams machine. New Williams Arcade. 4647. 6847. I think we did. Didn't we do the Williams last year? Last time? Yeah, we did. The, the yeah, new ones are the. Are these? Yeah, these are the only ones they just added this last yeah, week. Yeah, but none of those are any good. Well, let's see. They're, they're ugly. Mm. <laughs> and this is a fairly complicated picture to try to render with all that. Yeah, they made it hard on purpose, right? I like the fact it kind of follows you in real time, kind of lags behind a bit as it's updating, so you can actually see it. But you can resize the chunk you want um, and then slide that over the picture if you want any particular specific part of it. And then you can change like your your dithering options. There's a whack load of those, which I don't even understand what half of them are. That one's pretty gross. But the fact that he's got the VDG ones working and that multiple you know people amongst us have been suggesting you should support those Coco 3 modes too, because it's basically EJ, which he already has a version of. So it's basically just accepting different resolutions. So in that case, it should start looking a fair bit better. So if I go to here, that would be kind of the equivalent of the Coco 3, which looks a little, little bit better. Now, to be honest, if you look at the original painting scan here, it's kind of all dotty looking anyway. I mean, that was it's not what I would say is the best picture to choose from. Well, right. It's it's meant to be hard. Hard, yeah. Yeah, and it is. <laughs> but this is uh, one where you can actually upload your own. You just browse on your local file system from his website, and you can load in any picture you have and then get it to convert it. And then you can actually download the actual one here after you decide where you want to crop it, et cetera. So if you, anybody wants to make like a graphical adventure game for an MC10 or a Coco or a Coco 3 or something like that, and you have a bunch of like pictures of stuff you want to use, you can go through and fiddle with brightness, contrast, color, saturation, diffusion, what type of uh, dithering you want to use. And Yeah, I noticed when you change the dithering, the trees really worked for a while there. So depending on what what image you have, playing with these can really maximize each one without having to make a blanket decision. Okay. All my graphics are going to be like this. You can, you can make each individual screen look better. I like it. Yeah. It's got a lot of things to play with and it's all done in pretty well real time. So, so yeah, a, lot, a lot of options here in the 6847, it really makes a difference how you did it as to how good that image looks. So this could be, a lot of fun. Yeah. I think for like an adventure game where you want a lot of little pictures of uh, scenes, et cetera, I think you could do some really cool stuff with this. If you put a better picture in there, you get a better idea what it does. That's a horrible mm -hmm. picture. Yeah. Well, like, like Rick said, this was meant to be one of the hardest ones. Like if you want to really hit this algorithm hard, they, you don't want to give it a nice, here's a couple of black and white bars. Of course, it's going to render that perfectly type thing. This is a lot of tiny little shade changes almost every single pixel. So it's it's challenging to try to get that to work. I mean, right now, using this EGA mode, which is basically the Coco 3, 320 mode, doesn't look too bad. It's pretty recognizable. It's not perfect, obviously, but it's it's not too shabby, considering. Anyway, fun to play with. Uh, you can just go hit them. It's the uh, 8bitworkshop.com slash dithertron. I, I love that name too. So, yeah, that's good. <laughs>
And then we got a bit of dragon news. Um, so John Whitworth posted on Facebook in the Dragon Group that the Dragon Power Supply Unit Boards are back in stock as of his post yesterday morning, or maybe after it was yesterday. He had 16 of them up. Um, and I know that was something he was getting a lot of requests to, to make some more of, so he's got a bunch up there. And if you need one of those, you can go grab it on his site. I don't know how many he's got left because I don't think his site really says... And you get a bit of a discount if you bulk order. I, most people, I assume, would not have to do that. Next up, this was a post from Doc Feel Bad on the Dragon Facebook group, and it's actually posting a link from the Home Computer Museum in the Netherlands, which we've covered before. They have uh, a Cocoa 3 set up there. They have Dragon set up there, etc. Where they were going through a bunch of old stuff they'd had in storage for a while and discovered a few fairly rare items they didn't even know they had. And one of them here is the uh, official Dragon 32 demonstration cartridge um which apparently was basically for internal use only or for trade shows and not something they sold to the public so this is not something it's very common and then they also show some pictures here of the dragon running some of the high-res graphics uh text modes etc and this is some of the stuff they've been pulling out all these discs and backups and stuff here of stuff that uh they may not actually have anywhere else so Pretty cool they found that. I'm interested to see a video of what it actually their demo does, because that's not something I think I've ever seen. I don't know if 60 has either. And this is an interesting one. We've actually talked about this on our show about the cocoa in general, and that is basically that there seems to be a tendency of people from the cocoa community getting involved in IT or data processing or hardware design or whatever at a bigger ratio from Cocoa people than most other 8-bit machines at the time. We were much more the hobbyist hands-on computer rather than, you know, strictly games or strictly business or, you know, what some of the other 8-bits were. So Richard Harding decided to ask the same question basically on the Dragon group. And his basic question with, a you know, six or seven options that he listed there, did your Dragon have benefits beyond an entertainment machine? Did it help you in your career even as a qualification? That could have been learning to program, learning to type, or even using educational programs. 80% of the response said, yes, the Dragon helped them get you know, a job or with their career. 2% said, yes, some other 16-bit computer helped me. 8% said, no, I just played games. So like less than 10%. <laughs> now, that might be biased to the fact that people that are still using Dragons up to now, just like people still using Cocos up to now, probably are a bit more technically oriented. Though with all the retro gaming coming back with all the machines in the last few years and, and getting much more popular... Um, that may be changing the ratio back a little bit, but we'll see. Um, but that was pretty interesting that 80% said that they're using the Dragon back in the day, helped them embark in their career. And we've talked about that even here on the panel, that that uh, it probably is pretty close to the Cocoa ones. So I think we had a few more that were gamers back in the day um, that are just getting back into the retro just for the gaming side of things. You know, you know Dagrat's a popular one or or Downland or something like that. And the last one I've got here um, is not Cocoa related, but it's involving some friends of the show that have done stuff for the Cocoa before. I've attended Cocoa Fest a couple years in a row. And uh, this particular video they did, which they recorded partly at or mostly oh, at VCF man. Midwest. And they did it at Seth Tandy. I'm so mad now. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did, uh, you know, slam the 6502 a little bit at the show two years ago. So we got to give them credit there. <laughs> But it's such a fun video, and it kind of shows... Uh, you didn't flip your screen. I No, I haven't yet. Oh. Um, 
but basically it's Taylor and Amy, and they did a song, the 6502 song, which is kind of talking about you know, stuff for the 6502, whether it's video game systems, home computers, video consoles, etc. They, of course, are great at singing. They got a bunch of rather famous people at VCF Midwest to participate. Ken, I think you were a security guard or something to make sure they didn't get interfered with. Is that what I understood? <laughs> yes, yes, I was. <laughs> I suppose they didn't get you up there to sing with them, too. But, um, it was about girls using 6502 so i wouldn't have fit in uh okay oh that's right yeah everybody on that video is is female you're right i didn't even think about that but yeah they like jerry ellsworth and some other youtubers that i'd not really heard of before because i just i'm I'm not kind of isolated in the cocoa community but jerry ellsworth jerry ellsworth is the bottom left yeah jerry ellsworth yeah and I recognize the lady in the bottom center. She has a channel too. She's a like a system admin now, but she has. Yeah, she's uh, like the Linux Commodore guru or something, isn't she? Yeah, and she's going to yeah, be so. starting some Tandy videos soon. I uh, I, I turned her. Is it Nitro Nine that helped turn her? <laughs> she will be a Tandy person. <laughs> Yeah, because if I remember, yeah. I, I'd, I'd never heard of her before. Like I said, I'm kind of isolated in my Cocoa world here, but she's, I think she's got like 73,500 subscribers herself. Yeah, she's fairly new, but uh, she really blew up onto the um, stream. That's uh, Veronica Explains. Yeah. Okay. And this one here, I can't remember who that was. This um, is Jerry Ellsworth over here. For she's those with Tilt 5, I think. Okay. And of course, Taylor and Amy up here. So I'll play this in entirety. This will actually be the ending of the show. Um, the Tandy Assembly thing's already started, so I'll probably be hopping over there afterwards. But uh, it's just it's just good fun. And I, thanks for pointing out it's all females. I don't know why I didn't notice that. <laughs> the and they're, they're petting pet. a pet. Yeah. <laughs> There's a joystick in my hand. There's a Tari on the stand. Put a cartridge in the slot. Cause we're gonna play a lot. Switching on my Famicom. Cause Nintendo is the bomb Mario's the one I love Slipping on a power glove It's an 8-bit world And we're 8-bit girls It's true Oh yeah It's an 8-bit world And we're 8-bit girls It's true Yeah 6502 we landed on the block. Nah, I'm offended now. <laughs> you can hang up any time. <laughs> they can harmonize good. Yeah. yeah. Good song. Position, give me speed, bringing up the centipede. Retro games are what I need. 6502. Yeah, we've got the highest score. Always say we want some more, more. Whoa, 6502. But shouldn't they have done it, sure, in Comma Dimber or something? <laughs> well, they're coming 6502 on everything, so that's like Famicom stuff that have nothing to do with any specific platform. This RF jack, what's it for? Hooking up my Commodore Software on a floppy disk Apple II cannot be missed Want to see an epic fail Dysentery on the trail It's an 8-bit world And we're 8-bit girls It's true Oh yeah It's an 8-bit world And we're 8-bit girls It's true Yeah 6502 Yeah, we landed on the block Space Invaders took some shots Then we ate up all the dust 6502 
history this 6502 team was a bunch of ex motorola people that were working on the 6800 and wanted motorola to make a cheaper processor because it was too expensive for 6800s and motorola said no so they split off and created the 6502 which then took the world by storm because it was cheap and, 20, uh, 25 dollars versus 330 dollars cheap yes well, they, like, they brought the price down eventually but you know well would they have if they hadn't had this split off with right it would have been 330 bucks forever if they hadn't <laughs> But doesn't Probably. the price reflect the actual worth of the chip? No, it was actually Correct. a bit unbalanced, even with that. And, mm-hmm. But I mean, I actually view this as a positive thing because once they did this and they split off, it forced Motorola to lower the prices on the 6800s and then the 6809. Mm-hmm. Now, the 6809 was still pretty expensive because it was a more advanced chip. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they had not done this, that would have probably been a $400 chip when it was released and you would not have seen it in a Cocoa. You would have probably had a C80 or something right. in it. So I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as I'm not a great fan of programming it versus 6809, to me, that's like night and day. Um, I have to give it's them kudos. I mean, point. first of all, the first two machines ever used had 6502s, the PET and the Apple II. But it helped instigate the price war between CPU manufacturers that actually made them affordable as home computers way earlier than it would have without. So right. I have Which to give dry, them props. drove the demand because without getting them to hands of the people, there wasn't the demand for them. Yeah, it would have been hobbyist stuff. You would have been trying to buy gimmicks for seven grand still. Type yeah. thing. So I have to give them some props on that. Now, if you remember the song they did at the first Coco Fest they went to, not this past one, but the one before, they did have a line in one of the songs saying 6809 is greater than 6502. And in the interest of not trying to alienate their base, because their base is all <laughs> retro people, they did explain that you can interpret that as literally the power of the CPU. It's just mad, um, man. Or you or or you could do just mathematical, like they mentioned, or you could go by price, because the 609 definitely was more expensive than the 6502, even with the price reductions. 
But as Ken mentioned, you've actually got one of them going to be starting to try out the cocoa, I guess, with uh, hopefully Nitrous Nine, so they because she's the Linux person, so that should feel feel like old home week for her. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, uh, the six eight zero nine was definitely known as being a better processor. You can read the reviews and bite and everything else from the time being, but it was a fair bit more expensive, and because it was a fair bit more expensive, it didn't get used as much. There was basically the cocoa, the dragons, the uh, Thompson from France. Uh, the Vectrix, um, you know, Williams used a lot of their arcade games, a lot of pinball machines used it, et cetera. So it was still pretty popular, but it never reached the mass market like a 6502 or even the Z80 did just because those were cheaper. And that's where cost meant stuff. That's also why the Coco actually sold quite well compared to some of the other machines because it was affordable. I mean, Coco outsold the Tier City Model 1, 2, 3, and all the rest of the black and white Tier Cities because it was cheaper. So... But you know, all in good fun too. I mean, it's just uh, it's just fun watching them. They have they have so much yeah, fun. Is, and uh, you know, the have having it so that it's you know it's an all women thing because the tech industry is rather famous for being pretty chauvinistic, shall I say? <laughs> Over the years, it's getting better. Jerry Ellsworth is actually one of the people that fought that. Uh, if you've ever watched any of her history when she was starting her own chain of computer stores in the nineties. Or when she was getting into electronics in the late eighties, like she was told, "You're a girl, like forget it, just go away," and uh, that's not the right attitude to have, type of thing. And uh, she's one of the pioneers that kind of helped try to reverse that trend. And you know, the other people pictured here and Taylor and Amy are helping reverse that too. So, and I think uh, Ken, you'd mentioned that there was a lot more women at VCF, I think, proportionally than previous years too, right? I would say, yeah. Well, I mean, there was just a lot more people. I don't know. Purport- <laughs> I don't know if it was proportionate. Pick a demographic. Not, but- there was a lot more. Because <laughs> just yeah. just from what some of the walkbys and stuff like David Ladd took, I saw a lot more women there. You know, just wandering the aisles and stuff than I remember seeing in the previous. Yeah. Years. I would say there definitely was, but uh, yeah, I don't know if that's proportionately a lot more or just the fact that there was a lot more people. Yeah, my 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 gathering from looking at it, I think overall. proportionally, but that's that might just be me, or maybe it's just because you know most of the footage that I I've had and David Ladd had was right right from the Coco section, and you know no Dave David did a complete walk through the oh, whole did he thing. Do a walk and, okay, yeah, and we I well, at least me personally I saw like I said proportionally more women than I remember seeing in any previous VCF. That's great. So I think it's it's starting to equal out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you guys should go check out the song without us yammering through it. Um, actually, on their site, it's actually gone a bit viral. It's probably one of their best played it's, or most often catchy. played videos. <laughs> um, like they have three point three thousand subscribers, and I think the count is already at six point two thousand. So they've had almost twice as many mm-hmm. people view it as they actually have subscribers to their page. So, and now we've got to all go through this and figure out the Easter eggs, like petting the pet rock and petting the pet, and how much other stuff like that is in here. Yeah, and they're covering like 6502s, like the Famicom and stuff from the 70s. So they went right. and covered the entire gamut, the Nintendo 6510, which is sort of a 6502. And then um, in the chat, Mark Siegel's asking, what, what's with the 1984? Hmm, oh, the shirts. Their shirt oh, I don't know. That's a 6502 shirt she's wearing, too. So was that the release date of the Nintendo in Japan or something, maybe? No, it was 83, wasn't it? Seems a bit. I guess we'll just have to ask them. Yeah, we'll just have to ask them. <laughs> Maybe that's when they started using a disk drive. Mm-hmm. 
All right, uh, go go support their channel. They're they're great fun. Uh, they've attended our shows. Um, we we try to help each other. Like I mentioned them, they mentioned us on some pretty big panels at VCF that probably we would never get mentioned at otherwise. Like they were on the one at uh, what was the which VCF was the one in Texas? The one this past summer, South Southwest Southwest. So- Something oh, must be. I mean, they were on there with Jerry Ellsworth and Bill Hurd of of Commodore, some of these you know people that have seventy five, a hundred thousand beyond viewers, and they gave us a big shout out because they were beginning asked, you know, what is the prejudice against women in the retro community in particular? And they said they hadn't really hit that, and they said that when they guessed it with us, you know, it it was like a big family thing. So they they were quite impressed with us. They haven't had any problems with the retro community. That's so, right. Yeah, so a big, big thank you to them. That's why I wanted to give them a shout on this video, even though it's technically not, you know, cocoa related per se, except for bringing the price of six and nines down. So we had a cocoa. So we, honestly, we wouldn't have, there? yeah, we wouldn't have had one otherwise, unless you wanted to spend a grand. So anyway, that's the show for today. If you guys want to get even more Tandy stuff, uh, you can go to the TRSA Trash Talk uh, show live on YouTube. Uh, links in the show notes, and I also posted it earlier. Uh, they should have been started up about half an hour ago. They'll be covering the Septandy, which is next weekend. So if you want to see what speakers are there, what vendors are there, what's happening to the show, you can head over there. Okay. Ready for the outro? Yep. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback suggestions even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Uh, so that stands for their thing from the channel, their tagline, best friends since 1984. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. So hey. it's uh, about the Taylor and Amy show. Ah. Cool. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely are running. I just brought up Trash Talker. They're actually going through the schedule right now for the tech, Tandy Tech Track talks and the general schedule for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, Okay. I guess I will push the button. Hey, Bye. see you all next week. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye, everybody. We're sorry. Bye. Yeah, we're sorry. <laughs>